0: I've mentioned that Kira works at the the Starbucks. So, you know, Starbucks does the pup cup for when dogs come through the drive-through. Except for her store does not have a drive-through and people bring their their dogs into the cafe area to get them pup cups.
1: I yeah, don't... people <sighs> people used to just like bring their dogs into the bakery and say you can't do that. Yeah. There's people eating, and there's, like, food everywhere. Yeah. And I don't mind. Like, I don't give a shit if there's dogs in a dining area, but a lot of other people do.
0: Uh, she said there's a regular who has a husky that he uh, literally puts on his shoulder and carries in, grabs his order, and then leaves.
1: This man is so starved for attention that not does he have a parrot on his shoulder, uh-huh. He has a husky dog. Yes.
0: And he can't. I
1: bet he can't wait for people to ask him questions.
0: He can't leave the dog in the in the car for the 25 seconds that it would take to run in. No, this man is a special breed of urban attention getter that just needs to be noticed all the time. Yeah,
1: it's peacocking out there with a white eyed dog. <laughs>
0: Aw. You know, uh, I have to say, I've gotten a lot of attention uh, from walking my dogs out on the trails. I think it I bet w- you people pay attention to the little dog, right? Oh, they love both of our dogs because Baby is abnormally large. She's like a little bit too big for a dog, and Hank is obviously very, very small. So even when I just had baby, people would be like, kids especially are fascinated by like, look at the big doggy, because she's huge uh, and dopey. And like she, even other large breed dogs don't look as big as she, she does.
1: I would watch my sister's French Bulldog every now and then in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So I'd walk Buster, this beautiful mutt dog German Shepherd, and this little rat thing. And it it would just disgust me, the Uh amount of attention people would pay to this ugly little weasel dog. I I, I regret how hard I came at Cats the uh, Uh the Uh other week, because I do like some cats. So I'm gonna not repeat my mistake here by going super hard on French Bulldogs, and I'm just gonna say we should move on and talk about these movies.
0: Okay, we could probably do that. So, here is the thing... That only hit me in the last few minutes of watching our second movie today.
1: They both directed The Signal? They both directed The Signal. You told me only one of them did. Yes. And then I looked up and I'm like, wait, Jacob Jacob Gintry? That sounds really familiar. I've yes. seen something of his. It's also The Signal, you jackass.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I totally didn't realize that. And I was chasing down uh, one of the actors in... Uh, broadcast signal intrusion is also in the signal, and I was like, "Oh, that's weird." So I was scrolling Man. through the credits, and I was like, What the hell?
1: What's that dude's name? uh Jacob something? uh fuck.
0: Um, uh Justin
1: Wellborn. Yes. who I really, really liked in the signal, so let's just talk about the signal. The mm-hmm, signal's mm-hmm. from two thousand and seven, and it's a movie that I like heard some buzz about, and I was like excited i actually I downloaded a DVD screener first. Okay. And then I was excited to buy the actual DVD release. The thing that fucked the movie for me a little was that there's a very important love song in the movie mm-hmm. and the screener versus the released product use a different song and I've been oh. after that screener cut for a long time because I think the song fit way better but I can't find it. And so it's like it's like this weird Gem of a movie that's in my mind, but it does not exist anywhere. I've honestly thought of trying to, like, recut the movie, reinserting the uh-huh. song back into it, because I'm that
0: weird. So, okay, here we wind up going full circle again with our own selves, because do you recall what the song was?
1: Leave by Heavens, which is what? the guy from the a- Alkaline Trio, Akon it's what Matt something from the that trio was in a band called Heavens that released one album, and the song "Leave was the love ballad in the d v d screener cut of the signal,
0: okay, because I didn't know that the only replacement I knew was that they used had used a cover of a uh, Perfect Day by Lou Reed, which was the song that they used in the trailer of you're next, but not in the movie of You're Next, which also featured this... AJ Bowen from The Signal. <laughs>
1: mm, are we getting broadcast signal
0: intrusion right now? Yeah, I think we could go down the rabbit hole of ourselves. <laughs> at oh this no,
1: point. I'm slightly concerned about this. Uh, ben Lovett also composed both movies mm-hmm. and The Signal. Both both movies are about losing a loved one, a partner and then the grief that you then go through, and both are about diving deep into rabbit holes of your own grief, essentially. Mm Mm-hmm. This is is like an uncanny episode, watching both these movies and then having all this shit unfold. (laughs) I'm like, what the fuck's going on?
0: And it's even weirder that um, Jacob Gentry did not... Like, at that point, I was like, oh, these two guys who came from the same film collective both wrote movies about the same thing okay that's not that weird but he didn't actually write the movie he directed someone else's script yeah and it just happened to line up in the same year as his former directing partner's grief-filled movie that's insane have you seen the signal yes
1: okay well i recommend it to listeners it's it's an interesting movie it's about a broadcast signal is sent out via all televisions and radios and everything. And anyone who hears or sees it essentially gets infected with rage <laughs> in 28 days later terms. And everyone loses their mind. Um, and the movie is directed in three segments by three different directors. So the first one is David Bruckner, who directed Nighthouse, And it's a bit more of a serious introduction to post-apocalypse part. And then the second portion, which is directed by Jacob Gintry, who did Broadcast Signal Intrusion, is like this quirky, weird black comedy that's like so odd, but dark. So these two movies of Nighthouse and Broadcast really track these directors having their own style. One mm-hmm. more straightforward and one kind of a weirdo.
0: Yeah, uh, I haven't seen The Signal probably since 2010 uh same same
1: boat like okay 2010 2012 maybe I, I i need to get back to it
0: i distinctly remember i watched it um when we were preparing for the first slasher film that cameron and i shot together uh because it was one of the like uh the low budget standouts of the previous few years and they did a gag in it where there's a car accident and you see like the engine is smoking afterwards. Uh, And basically, they drove over a speed bump and shot a fire extinguisher through the engine. And that's how they created the effect. And so we were like, hell, we're going to do the same thing in uh, Cameron's movie. Oh, that's a good trick. Yeah, it was pretty good because it's all about what you're not showing. And uh, so we had a, a little ramp built and we drove over a ramp and... Uh the problem that we faced was the guy who got us the fire extinguisher got us the kind uh that doesn't make smoke. It shoots out powder.
1: Uh there's many kinds of fire <laughs> extinguishers. Yes. And you kinda need to make sure that you're not shooting powder that's impossible to clean. Yeah. All over the set.
0: Yes. Which luckily Did I was- you learn
1: this before or after it was shot?
0: uh this was actually he had bought a couple and so we were doing a run uh of it and when he shot it out the fire extinguisher and it was just like it looks like um cornmeal or something basically mm. like comes out of the end i of hope
1: it. it's not cornmeal have you seen how flammable cornmeal is
0: oh yeah no that'd be a bad idea yeah it's weird because like uh what's the other thing coffee creamer is also super flammable
1: yeah, I remember the Mythbusters thing, where yeah. they did an air cannon full of coffee creamer, and that fireball was tremendous. Yeah, horrifying. So... Why'd you choose these? Aside from, like, you saw you saw these both. I had not seen these.
0: So, actually, The Night House, I went t- to the theater to see it. It was one of the first movies back, I guess. Um,
1: it was in theater here for, like, oh... Four days. Five, I, I was going to see it and miss my window.
0: Yeah, it was super small. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of stuff coming out then. And I have the um, the past programs from the AMC and the Regal where you pay 20 bucks a month and you get unlimited movies. Um, and so I figure by my math, if I go to at least two movies a month, I've paid for each of them at each theater. Uh, so I have to go to a movie, <laughs> so it drives. So you're
1: you're committing yourself to four theatrical viewings a month. Yes, and and that's just that's just your break-even point.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Which the nice thing that's a is a lot of theaters. Uh, every Tuesday night is supposed to be like my night to go do stuff. Um, you know, I don't have to watch the kids or anything. Elizabeth takes care of that, uh, and she takes care of dinner that night. So, I have four nights a month that I'm supposed to go do stuff. So, it works out really well if there's stuff to see in that time frame. Uh, and this was what got me to go to the theater. And then I realized who directed the Nighthouse. And I was like, oh shit, I definitely want to see this. And I, I don't think I saw the trailers even um, for this one, which is odd. But yeah, I think it was kind of a happenstance that I wound up at the theater needing to see something.
2: You don't want
1: to go see American Underdog, the Kurt Warner story? Okay, actually, I do.
0: <laughs> oh no, why? Why? <laughs> because just the trailer gets to me. Uh, the the whole. Oh, Josh, no! It, it works so well on me. I'm such a sap,
1: it's, isn't it? It's like a Christian produced. Christian movie that's supposed to grab America by the heartstrings. Josh, don't. Oh, oh, no. But
0: my heartstrings are so open and tender. I know, but that's why we should watch Rudy. Okay. See, I can't watch. You've never seen Rudy. I can't watch Rudy because I grew up near Notre Dame and had Notre Dame propaganda shoved down my throat my whole life. Well, okay, okay. until well, I was like 19 or 20 and I moved away. Just but. imagine that
1: the ND on the helmet stands for North Dakota.
2: Okay. Rudy went to North Dakota. <laughs> he played for. Uh, yep. Uh, Do it. Clute, Clute
0: Jockney. <laughs> Famed North Dakota coach. Uh-huh. Clute Jockney. And uh, what is their mascot for North Dakota there?
2: Uh, the biting
0: ooh eyelash. Okay, (laughs) I I was gonna go with flighting, which is not a word, Uh, and then eye fish. That's where I land. The biting—that's
1: better. The biting eye fish. Yeah,
0: we should (laughs) we should combine.
1: (laughs) All right, we gotta stop doing improv. It's bad.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love it though. I get all hyped up after seeing Elizabeth. And her crew do improv uh, because they do it really well. She's been doing it for 20 years, so she's, like, very good at it. <laughs> and then I try my dumbass bits.
1: You, you listen to some podcasts, like Teacher's Lounge, and it's like, I I could probably do that. Uh-huh. And then you get in the middle of it, and it's like, uh-oh, I am frozen <laughs> in time, <laughs> yeah. and dead air is all that surrounds me.
0: See, this is where editing would be our friend if you cut out the, the pauses. Oh, I
1: I cut out a lot of pauses. Okay. I just leave a few in to make it not sound too produced. No, there's some dead air on this show where it's like, (laughs) oh my god, that makes me cringe. So I just cut (laughs) out two seconds. Just all of us thinking.
2: Yeah, it it happens a lot. Thank god we're not streaming live. So, The Night House.
0: First of all, uh, this movie when I first watched it grabbed me really like kind of around the throat with how just how carefully produced it feels. Like I feel like a lot of movies kind of just, especially in this genre where you have somebody who is doing a lot of research, they fall into this camp where they just follow the character around and uh, the shots don't feel like they mean anything individually. But I feel like this movie was really loaded in that way, very artfully, with, like, there's meaning within a lot of the frames. And once she kind of starts unraveling what's going on, you realize, like, the symbols from the weird books have been already showing up in the house, like, in the background. And the the faces that she sees are there the whole time, whether she's seeing them or not. They're, they're visible to the audience if you're looking for them. Um, and I think it's really... It just seems really impressive on what had to be not a huge budget uh, for this movie, I don't think.
1: It's put together really, really well. Um, I think the location that they found is pretty incredible. And this house needs to be weird and unique. And I think it fits the bill perfectly. Um, you saying how crafted it, it made me think of uh what was that movie? It was directed by uh God, not the not the shitty one, but the other one. Those two brothers, they both kinda suck. Francos. Uh The <laughs> Rental. The Rental, yeah. That thing was like this feels like someone just wanted to like jump on the horror train and they watched three horror movies and then they're like, Oh, I could do that. Let's just go do it. Mm-hmm. There's just like, uh, I I really didn't like that movie at all, at all. And this is like the complete opposite, where this slow burn, the slow build, uh, the performances, it all, this movie has a lot of dread built into it. And there was many times during this where I had like full body chills of not jump scares, but just moments that felt really uncanny and creepy to me.
0: Yeah, I think that's where this movie lives especially like if you get into the mindset of it as she goes down this rabbit hole because you're either going to buy kind of the main conceit or not. The idea of all of these doppelgangers of her is just super creepy. Like it and it works on me very very well. The the thought of finding this Evidence on your your spouse's phone, on your loved one, or on anyone's phone that you would know that these pictures almost look like you, but they're not you. They're other people that they've been following around. That's just, it's creepy as hell.
2: (laughs) It's kind of a, oh, Josh, that phone
0: ring. It is the most obnoxious phone ring.
1: I was just going to say the most insightful thing that was going (laughs) to launch our show to the top of the charts. (laughs) And now it's gone.
0: I done goofed it.
1: Um, I did lose. My, <laughs> I was oh, joking, but I did lose my train of thought.
0: <laughs> what were you just saying? Uh, the about the doppelgangers. It's it's very creepy.
1: Oh, oh yeah, this movie. It feels like um, Lovecraftian Giallo. Oh, okay, where the Giallo part is like the mystery that you're pursuing, and that's like a mystery shrouded in death, and then. Mm-hmm. You have look-alike characters and stuff like that that seems Argento-ish. Yeah. And then you got the the Lovecraftian side of, like, the cosmic horror of the mirror universe and all these unexplained phenomena
2: and stuff. Super cool blend of the two. Super cool.
0: The... Just the way that this movie presents both of those, but also... Rebecca Hall's performance, I feel like, is so grounded. And she seems... So, at the beginning of the movie, we don't know this yet, but she has lost her husband. Uh, he committed suicide just the week before we come into the picture.
1: There's a lot of suicide in these two movies. Yes. that's They're <laughs> dark and
0: heavy. <laughs> so, yeah, so... Uh, um... And Rebecca Hall's performance, she... She's not just like this grieving widow. She is prickly and bitter and like resentful that her husband left her behind, left her to like this whole mess. And but she also does miss him and clearly loves him a lot. And it just feels like you get to see kind of this whole cauldron of things that would be swirling inside of her and not just the one beat, the one note of. Oh, it's you know, it's sad and it's it's over kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I like also that her gallows humor that she has, mm-hmm. which is such a realistic thing. When I when my dad died two two years ago, a little over, something like that. Uh <laughs> I was cracking some dark jokes <laughs> with friends, you uh-huh. know, in the next coming weeks or months. Jokes that like my friends knew to laugh because they but it's like it's still it's like jokes they're like people make people feel like oh jesus yeah <laughs> like, and seeing her 2 coworkers at that dinner scene mm-hmm. trying to respond to her and they just don't know how to they don't know when to laugh they ask inappropriate questions they don't ask questions when they should be asking it's like they have zero clue how to talk to this woman
0: that's and I think when I first saw this, actually, um, I believe I texted you as soon as her friend came on screen. And yes, I was bad and I used my phone in the theater. I was alone. So sue me. Uh, but
1: you were, were you were solo in the theater for this one?
0: Yes. Oh,
1: cool. I've only had crank high voltage that experience
0: uh, yesterday. See Nightmare Alley. It was me and one other gentleman. One guy came in for like the first seven minutes of the film and then left. Uh, And That's
1: enough of that, huh? Yeah,
0: he was like, no, I'm not down for this carnival setting. These Uh, shenanigans. My uncle
1: uncle was a geek.
0: (laughs) How dare you defame the geeks this way? (laughs) Uh, But as soon as her friend... Uh, Claire shows up on screen. I texted Sarah you, Sarah Goldberg, and from I, <laughs> Barry. I was like, "It's Barry's girlfriend. She's in a movie. I didn't know she did." I've any never movies. seen her in anything.
1: I've only seen her in Barry. Yeah, uh, she's good in this. I like her as the friend
0: character. I do too. There's a scene that I want to call out in a little bit that I think is just—it's so simple and fantastic acting by both of them, and like they carry the whole scene. Um, um, did you see the gift?
1: with Rebecca Hall and Jason Bateman. Yes. And Joel Edgerton. All right. Good movie, but Joel Edgerton looks so weird in that movie and I can't put my finger on it. But it was like it was like an uncanny valley Joel Edgerton face. I it's really <laughs> weird. It's like I could kind of recognize the actor in it but not really and it it like threw my entire viewing experience because it was like an hour into the movie I was like, "Wait, isn't that the guy from The Thing remake? And it's like, <laughs> these are two different human beings. Maybe it's just in The Thing he had a beard. Mm-hmm. And in that he had a mustache. And a mustache, good on you if you can pull it off, but it's rare.
0: Oh, I i swear uh, I suffer from near-face blindness, because I think for the longest time um, Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton were the same guy in my head. <laughs> I
1: See, they're easily distinguished from me. <laughs> Jill Edgerton has orc horns. Oh, no, he doesn't. Jill Edgerton cut off his orc horns. Okay. You didn't see Bright with Will Smith?
0: No, I did not.
2: <laughs> Good choice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, speaking of slightly weird-looking dudes... Um... Rebecca Hall, who, who plays Beth in this movie, her husband. Whoa. Owen.
1: Oh, I thought you were saying Rebecca Hall is a weird looking dude. No, <laughs> no, not by
0: a long shot. Uh, her, You think her husband's weird looking? I think that guy. Okay. So, like, I used to, f- I still do. I feel like Angelina Jolie is weird looking. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's attractive, but to such a degree that you're like, that face is just kind of weird. Uh, and I think this dude, Evan John kite uh, is in the same boat. Like he looks kind of like a, a, a male Bratz doll. Like his eyes are slightly too large for his head.
1: <laughs> they did towards the end of this movie when they black out his eyes. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, oh, this, this totally works on this guy's face. Y- yes. Uh,
0: and he was also in bone tomahawk, uh, which is, I was like, I know I've seen him before. Uh,
2: Wait, who was he in that?
0: He was, uh, the deputy?
2: The, okay, bone tomahawk spoil, spoilers,
1: even yes. though we've covered it. Give you ten seconds. Five, four, three, two. Uh-huh. The guy who got bisected? I believe so, yes. Because that was the deputy in that movie. Yeah. I, I think wow, that's Wow, what a, what an honor. I know. (laughs) That guy gets to go everywhere in his life saying, I'm the guy that the thing happened to in that movie. Uh, And then people at bars would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? I've never heard of that movie in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah, well, I was in the nighthouse. That doesn't exist either, sir. Get out.
0: Okay. And one more that I think we might want to talk about at some point, or at the very least, you should see. He's also in The Empty Man from two years ago now, from 2020. Uh, I don't know. It happened during the pandemic, which feels like six months, but it's also been three years, so I don't understand time anymore. But The, the Empty Man <laughs> it's, was... It's not been three years. <laughs> We're approaching we two years. We are currently in the third year of this. this. I've seen the semantics of this argued a few different times. But we're we've right, entered I, the third year of it.
2: This is like yeah, go on. Go okay, on.
0: Okay. Uh not gonna grind the show to a
1: halt over technicalities <laughs> like I normally do.
0: <laughs> but the uh, uh he's also in the empty man, which was another like sleeper horror hit from uh around the beginning of the pandemic time. Um and it kind of got dropped pretty quickly because no one went to see it because you know He's pandemic weird looking no oh, james, oh the
1: pandemic yeah yeah
0: james badge dale <laughs> is is the the lead in that movie um but that that's a, another fantastic film that i feel like got short shrifted because of this whole thing um and it was made by david fincher's longtime collaborator the guy who does like his behind the scenes documentaries directed this movie uh and it's like just another one that feels really carefully put together. And that was a big budget movie too.
2: Mm. Hmm. Hmm. assistant, huh? Yep. That, I,
1: that doesn't buy any credit.
2: In my what?
0: Mind. Oh my God.
2: Are his behind the
1: scenes documentaries good? Yes. Are they like notoriously good? I've never seen one.
0: They are like, um, cause I, I believe he did the, the fight club one which at the time people were like, it's film school in one DVD case, uh, as far as how deep that they let you into the process. Um, Oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah. That's right up your alley.
0: Yes, very much. So very film nerd kind of stuff. Um, So the first several minutes of this movie and then several minutes throughout the movie are dialogue free. And we're following Beth as she walks around uh, her house and we see... Love it.
1: There's, like, a string quartet playing through all this, and it's yes. beautiful.
0: It starts with the piano note. Like, one repeating piano note that builds into this string quartet, and the score... uh I bought the score to both of these movies on vinyl. Uh, they're doing, like, limited pressings of them, and I had to have them because I think... Ben I Lover get it. After listening
1: to both of these movies, they're very different, mm-hmm. but... I could I could totally see listening to either of these.
0: Yeah. Uh
1: Broadcast kind of has that like jazzy detective stuff going on in it. Yes. Yeah, it's like, very noir.
0: Yep. It definitely tips its hat to to uh its predecessors, I think. Um and okay, this movie especially, I was worried about both of these, but this movie especially so much of it happens in dreams or in the liminal space between falling asleep and waking up that I don't know what actually happens in a lot of this movie and what is her perceived reality.
1: Um, All I can tell you is this is the least amount of notes I've ever taken for a movie. Okay. Because I think I was just involved in it and it's slow moving mm-hmm. and yeah, has never never a hundred percent sure where we were um so there's there's a lot of like there's some really stuff that adds a little bit of relief to this like overly depressive story like when she throws the casserole that her mom gives her in the trash can or whatever yeah and then it cuts like 30 seconds later and she's eating the casserole (laughs) out of the trash yes Stuff like, and uh, that's really relatable though, especially, I don't know, like when you're going through grief and depression, it's just, you just stop caring about shit like that, mm-hmm.
0: you know? And it is one of the notes that she plays that I can recognize is that she is really bitter that people do want to genuinely help her. Like, there's part of her that is like trying to be self sufficient and trying to be okay. But she keeps falling down, basically. And so that casserole, she's like, fuck your help. Like, fuck your good wishes. And then, no, I really do need to eat. And then she just depressed eats. And I imagine she sits there and eats the whole thing. So... I can
1: 100% <laughs> relate to not wanting people, but at the same time, desperately needing
0: their help. Mm-hmm. Uh. So right towards the beginning, in this little montage that we get uh that shows the beautiful house uh we get the first usage of the song from richard and linda thompson called the cavalry cross that is it's set up as beth and owen's song and it's clearly part of something because each time that it happens in the movie she kind of wakes up and recognizes and calls out owen's name multiple times even uh, what do you think? Have, have you ever woken up to shit like this? Like... Stereo playing in the
1: middle of the night? Yes. TV turning itself on? Like, any anything like that?
0: Yeah, like... Uh, and a lot of it can be ascribed to, like, either electrical flashes, or the fact that everything's connected now, and for some reason, the other night, my television decided to install the, like, the CBS app out of nowhere. <laughs> and... I literally woke up and like it's flipping through and I roll over thinking that Elizabeth was like messing with the TV and she's dead asleep. And so it's just Tom like...
1: Selleck is just staring at you with his dead eyes,
0: <laughs> polar bear eyes. Why is it Tom Selleck? Why is he? Why is he the bad guy?
1: Blue Bloods. Oh, okay. Blue Bloods is like the biggest CBS show. My mom loves it or <laughs> used to. My mom watches all the CBS Yellowstone's like just mm-hmm. anything aimed towards people in their 60s and 70s, my mom's all over it.
0: Yeah, um my mom is big. Except I
1: think this is I think um this is us is too much for her where she's just like oh that that if bullshit melodrama. <laughs>
0: oh, and <we laughs> which ha- the
1: actor yes, the act- oh, yeah, the actor in broadcast signal is from that show. Oh, yep.
0: uh, which I my note for that is when he shows up, I said, oh, it's Chris Sullivan. I love this guy. And then I Googled him to see the rest of his credits, and it's like, he's best known for This Is Us, which I have never seen. So I know him from I his I just remember most.
1: they were hammering a Super Bowl four years ago. Who's gonna die? There's a house fire on This Is oh. Us. And it was just like the most melodramatic two months of advertising leading up to this episode showing house fires and people weeping and characters hugging it's just like man this is what America's into huh (laughs) alright
0: um
1: Uh, so when when her stereo goes off or when she hears banging yes she's just walking around the house investigating these noises I'm like lady pre-dial 911 on your phone and have a weapon in hand you're just like wandering around willy nilly uh huh um but I think that's part of like her grief is that's like She's not. She's often not scared, where I would expect her to be scared, and I think she's just so emotionally spent that there's nothing left.
0: Yeah, she's, like, numbed out to the point where uh, even her walk in a lot of it, it isn't purposeful looking. She's, like, a little zombie-ish, just kind of, like, throwing one foot in front of the other, and it's really effective with her frame. Like, I don't know how tall Rebecca Hall is, but she's really lanky like she has very lanky a long like elongated neck she's very um uh like elegant vitruvian man ooh nice <laughs> i i think she's not as bulky as the vitruvian man though
1: <laughs> <sighs> but um when she wakes up the next morning mm-hmm. she makes french press coffee pours half the coffee into her thermos and leaves the other half just chilling in the french press lady what are you doing you brewed all that coffee pour all that
2: coffee
0: because she's used to making it for two people
2: well aren't i an asshole
0: (laughs) that's that's good yes that's that's good you're smart you're smarter than me. <laughs> That's one that I noticed on the second time through. I was like, "Oh
1: shit!" I'm gonna I'm gonna take an insecure cup of sip of coffee myself now to cover my shame. <laughs> okay, good. Go ahead, uh, please proceed.
0: the The storytelling through this whole beginning part uh, to me feels like uh, Blue Ruin, where they are telling us a lot without anybody saying anything. It's all very cinematic.
1: Honestly, I think. This is one of my favorite things in a movie, in a movie that's well-made. And I know I've mentioned children of men before, but when you're able to tell a story um, just with background information and tiny details and, you know, empty pillows or whatever, ring on the finger after a partner's dead,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, double, doubling up the coffee, there's so many different ways to tell the story without having a character sit down across the table from their best friend and be like, I'm so lost. I'm nothing without their presence, and now I don't know what to do with myself and blah, blah. You know, we see she doesn't know what to do with herself. She sleeps on the floor of every room in this house Uh to avoid sleeping with a ghost, essentially.
0: (laughs) The, uh, and it does so well that at the point where she actually... Does like kind of exposition dump? It bummed me out a little bit because I was like, "No, I get most of this." But also, when she does say those things, I think it works really, really well.
1: Um When does she first reveal it? Is it to the woman at the parent-teacher conference?
0: Yes, the woman who comes into her classroom. Uh,
1: that was great. She has three students named Hunter.
2: Yes. That made me
0: laugh. <laughs> Which Hunter? Yes. <laughs> Uh, what about the? This is where, like, you start questioning reality because she's at work. She's like browsing Zillow because clearly she wants to get away from this house that her husband built for her, but he also killed himself in, like, right out in front of. Um, and then she closes her eyes, and then the web browser is guns when she looks back at it. Like, and it's so quick and it's not really revisited, but it's just like a note that happens.
1: No, and this is before I think this is before we know he shot himself. So yes. I'm thinking she's looking for self-defense because of the noises she's hearing around the
2: house. Yes. So great little thing right there. Um Yeah, the when she
0: drops the bombshell on this this woman, um and then the woman doesn't know how to react because the the woman comes in complaining that her son didn't get the right grade. And she's like, you got to see it's presenting
1: his speech on the last day of school.
0: Yes. <laughs> it, uh, even if the teacher's there
1: like, dude, that doesn't fly. Come no, on, man. Come on. No, no one's working on the last day of school.
0: You told him he could make it up. Well, I wasn't here. Like
1: God, last day of school is the best. Just like, Sharing yearbooks, teacher would throw a movie on or something, Mm -hmm. and it was just six hours of nonsense. (laughs) And every once in a while, you'd have that one teacher that'd be like, I'm still going to get a lesson in before we go. It's like, why? Yeah. Why? Why? Listen, lady, I'm not going to remember anything about what you said about the yellow wallpaper. So let me get out of (laughs) here.
0: The, uh, ironically, the teachers who taught me the most. We're also the ones who gave up the earliest when it, when we got towards break times or towards the end of school. Uh, I remember like my English teacher who was an incredibly intelligent man um, and really used, uh, he was the first one, like this was in the nineties. He used like multimedia presentations and would do dramatic readings for us. And he would, do, he would inhabit a character for the whole class. like. When he taught us, uh, what was it, it 1984 or um, Fahrenheit 451, like when we were doing our dystopia section, like my freshman year, he walked in and he was this character and he burned a book like in the classroom as part of as part of the lesson and like never lets on that he was doing a bit. And he was like, this is at the end, he was like, that's what it would feel like if you were in one of these movies and how or one of these books, how many of you were swayed? Like we all believed him because he's the authority figure. Uh, But he also like the last two weeks of school would just be like, yeah, forget about it. (laughs) Like, what are you guys doing over the summer? (laughs) Just two weeks. Oh, we were like, we would sit around and and talk about uh, going to see Titanic and uh, whatever else was just going on at that point in time. He was very cool.
1: Do you remember the summer that, oh, fuck, what's the Nolan movie with time, dreams, Inception, Inception. came out? Mm-hmm. One of the most annoying summers to ever be in a film class, which I was oh, taking God. a summer class. And it was just people like, did you see Inception? Did you see Inception? Oh my God, I couldn't believe it. Blah, blah, blah. Da, 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 uh-huh. blah, blah. I'm like, I finally saw it. And I'm like, this this isn't very complicated. I I, <laughs> I don't know why people are freaking out over this. This is like kind of straightforward.
0: Yeah, I hate to be that guy, but we're both being that guy currently because I had the exact same. Uh, I was out or I was up in Indiana when my wife at the time and our other friends went and saw Inception together, and she immediately was like texting me like, "Oh, you have to see this movie. You'll love it." Blah 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 blah. And when I finally saw it, I was like. It was it did blow my mind. It was okay. It's it's uh it's some, good to see Tom Berenger. Yeah, there's some BS about dreams, and then they have like kind of a James Bond shootout at the end. That's you know, the that that part with the train was neat. <laughs>
1: um I like Memento. hmm I or I really like Memento. I really like the prestige. And then after that, I feel like Nolan turned into more of a robot than he already was. And uh, anytime he tries to like write anything about the human condition, I'm like, but but you're a robot. You don't know anything about
0: love. <laughs> you're not a real boy, Chris. You don't have Nolan. enough RAM to understand this. Uh I have to say I liked Tenant more than I thought I would. But mostly because I, I was so
1: out on Tenet and uh it just annoyed me. The this the dialogue mixing annoyed me. Yes. Um, the lead performance I didn't care for it what's his fucking face uh hamlet uh B- brana, oh yeah, 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 Branna's performance is preposterous,
0: yeah. I, I don't know, man, I don't know that's um, I really did go into it thinking like this is going to be pretentious James Bond, and it really is like it's just it's that's, that's a good way to look at it, yeah, it feels like we're going to have a bunch of philosophy instead of spy gobbledygook that we're going to say. Uh, and then there's going to be some neat action scenes. And I was kind of there for that. And I thought the, um, what's his name? Washington. Uh, I think he's really charismatic and comes across kind of as a human in a robot movie.
1: Uh, is that, is Mark, Mark David Washington? I
0: can't is
1: remember it? his name. He, he's Denzel's son, right?
2: Oh shit. Okay. Isn't he? I
0: don't know.
1: Uh cuz I'm pretty sure he was on Ballers, which is a show I'm embarrassed to say I watched one season of. <laughs> and uh he was really charismatic on that show. Oh boy, you're looking it up. Okay. Am I right or Not am I Not only asshole?
0: is he Denzel's son. Yes. He <laughs> is a former American football running back. Really? He was signed with the Rams. <laughs> I did what?
2: not. Yes. I did not <laughs> realize that.
0: Oh, and he's 37. See, I, I mean, not that 37 is old, but I like these people kind of coming into it a little bit later in life and not, you know, all Robert Pattinson from like the time he was 12 doing Twilight or what have you. Like, th- this man is a grown adult when he's kind of reaching the heights of his fame. I appreciate that.
1: Hey, man, Scatman John didn't hit it until he was in, like, his mid-50s.
0: <laughs> now, is, is that
1: the Scatman? Dude, that dude was, like, a giant hit in Japan, especially. Uh-huh. So he was, like, a legit jazz musician, pianist, played a lot of jazz his whole life, did scatting to overcome a stutter that he had, a lifelong stutter, so that's why he scatted. Uh huh. And then he he was trying to make music. Someone, some producer decided to put a euro dance beat behind it, and the rest was history. And so, if you ever actually like listen to his songs, they're all about like positivity and equality, and everyone coming together oh. and trying to like be one and stuff. It's just like this awesome guy who is in his mid fifties, and he just he <laughs> he hit like this random ass fame, and he just went with it. And he seemed super cool. Uh, yeah, he died of stomach cancer, like, a few years ago. Oh, um, But, cool way to, like, such a random way to end your life. But so cool that he got to do that.
0: See, as soon as you said Scatman, for me it's Scatman He That's the only true Scatman.
2: You, you,
1: you just offended me. <laughs> you just offended me. <laughs> I just laid out the entire case for Scatman John, uh-huh. and then you immediately dismiss him.
0: I'm sorry, it's, it's Scatman John. Despite being older than me, that song hit a little bit past my like pop listening peak, and I was like, "This is this is dumb. It's it's the same as Blue babadaba Deba daba." That song. It
1: is not the same <laughs> as Blue babadaba diba Baba. You jackass. (laughs) I've called you jackass twice now on this episode. I've never called (laughs) you that before. Oh my god.
0: (sighs) Hitting nerves today. (sighs) Oh my god. I'm about to start hitting some nerds. A.K.A. you. Listen, they're corrective lenses, okay? I have to wear them. (laughs) So, we meet Beth's neighbor, uh, played by Vondi Curtis-Hall.
1: Mel, I love this guy. His he's performance, so he's so comforting. Like, this is a man I want to have as a neighbor. Mm-hmm. He'll be there to help you out of a jam. I, I don't know. I, I, I really, really dug this guy and his house. How yes. cozy. And, you know, I didn't really see any house plants, but everything felt very dry and architectural. Architectural, architectural, architectural. D- Textual. Two R's. Textural. Architecture. Architectural. Oh, fuck. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Her house that her husband built felt very clean and kind of yes. like a model house. Yes. Whereas his house, he's got plants. It just it ha- blankets. It just feels cozier and. Just the location that they found, I don't know what lake this is, mm-hmm. but my God, this is like <laughs> this is an exquisite place to live,
0: oh yeah, the uh, there's only houses on one side of the lake, and they explain it that it's like county land on the other, uh and it's reserved, and nobody can build on it, so like these few houses are the only ones that are ever gonna be on this lake, and it's just. So beautiful and green and verdant and like just overflowing with life. Uh, and their house is a it's not like dead tech house, but it is close. It's a it's way too clean, it's way too modern to kind of be in that. There's some nice touches in it, uh, and I think it's very pretty from the outside because the big it's windows. Not,
1: I think if it just had a little bit more interior decorating a couple mm-hmm. visits to tuesday morning and that house would feel <laughs> real nice
0: i have to say i've never pictured you like in a store before but tuesday morning would have been one of the last ones that i put you in i went to tuesday morning
1: yesterday for the first time ever okay. i went to a tuesday morning on a tuesday morning how about that <laughs> did, did you, you think buy I'd some get a discount
2: but i didn't
0: did you get a no a i got figurine
1: house plant pots oh yeah, they got
2: pretty good deals on them over there. I, I
0: did not think to go there. I just went to the Home Depot
2: to get mine. Well, Yeah. That's silly on my part, because they don't actually fit in with my decor. They're just kind of terracotta, and, and they exist. You can repot them. Oh, repot I'm... them in spring. I will. I will. I'm taking good care of those babies. Yeah, they look
1: happy from the photos. I think you'll probably get some... ZZ shoot soon. When the ZZ shoots a new shoot, it's very exciting. I have one right now, shooting.
0: Like, elsewhere in the pot? Or from off of it, it'll of the...
1: It'll come from the ground. It'll send up a brand new stalk out of the ground. Okay. So all of a sudden, you'll look at it one day, and you'll just see a little bright green thing sticking out. And it's the leaves on the top, and then it just slowly sh- shoots straight out of the ground, and then the leaves unfold. It's very cool.
0: So, mine has a um it looks like a potato but i figured out that it's yes. it's one of its rhizomes uh actually like above the ground uh
1: yeah and- they are tuber plants and yeah. so that's why you basically don't water them at all because they are like camels of uh-huh. houseplants they absorb water and then hold it in those potato-esque root systems that they have that's so cool. that's why zz's are so resilient because they you can water them like every couple of months and give them no light and yeah. they'll still cling to life but they won't thrive.
0: Our kitchen is very bright so I think uh they're they're doing well, I hope.
1: Yeah. Um my next scene is at the bar with her coworkers, which we talked about before a bit. Um I really liked the joke that her friend makes about something about the what do we know about or get me off this mortal coil, whatever the line—the mortal coil line is. Mm-hmm. And shuffle off re- this
0: mortal coil. What? what shuffle off may this come? mortal
1: coil. And Rebecca Hall goes, "What? You're gonna make a suicide uh, Shakespeare quote right in front of me? Right. <laughs> it's so awkward." And then she laughs, and yeah, that's that's basically how I dealt with grief. Oh, I also dealt with grief. I feel bad about this one. There was four people in a screening of The Lighthouse, and it was like a month after my dad had died, and I just wanted to go to a movie and escape, and these two old ladies just wouldn't stop talking, and as when the credits rolled, I walked by, and I was just like, I'd lost it. I was like, you two are so fucking rude. If you want to talk during a movie, you stay home and keep your fucking mouth shut in the theater.
2: I
0: was a little on edge. A little on edge. See... At least you have like a very good reasoning to be on edge. I yelled at a quartet of elderly people uh in a midday screening of the score of all movies. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really
1: I liked the score a lot growing up. It's uh-huh. not a great movie, especially Edward Norton stuff. Now looking back, it's like uh oh. Yes, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah a lot of his a lot of him <laughs> is not great, but um yeah what what'd you do oh I, <laughs> I told them that they needed to get the fuck out of there and go to a Starbucks if they felt like chatting the whole time <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah
0: there was that... a better there was a better way for me to do this,
1: and it would have been take care of it before I reached boiling with rage hmm <laughs> should have done something. Well before that point, but
0: by the time I reached there, (laughs) I was in full-on asshole mode. So, this, uh, oddly enough, I haven't really talked about this. I am currently, I have medication treating uh, bipolar disorder. And I believe a lot of my anger issues when I was younger stem from my bipolar. Uh, I haven't had any outbursts in the last several years now. but before the movies movies and parking lots because a movie is like a sacred space to me and once uh once you're in that room you're supposed to adhere to the rules of society and behave like a civilized person and appreciate what's happening in front of you and that includes the trailers as far as I'm concerned a few years ago
1: what about a little comment after the trailer in between trailers when a friend looks at someone say going to see that i might
0: see that okay so that makes me nervous because if they start doing that i'm like are they going to talk through the whole movie am i going to have to like
1: yeah i feel you it's like in between trailers i'll I'll, i'm keeping my eye on you now yes but i have a friend who i go to theater with every once in a while two friends actually they'll whisper something to me in the movie and i'm i just like grit my teeth Uh (laughs) it's just like deadlock with the theater or or I'll just look at them like uh and like that that's it. I'll just give you like a half nod uh yes and it's like okay shut up shut up
0: <laughs> that's uh I if I'm
1: going to have righteous fury <laughs> yelling at other people talking in this theater you cannot be talking to me right. because then <laughs> that's
0: uh, I dearly love my friend Eli but he is a movie talker it's it's his MO um and when we go to like the 12 Hours of Terror at the Bell Court, uh, but he doesn't attend anymore because he doesn't like the seats. But um, it, it's not bad. We, you're sitting there watching like Slaughter High or whatever at three o'clock in the morning. OK, let's, you know, let's, let's chat a little bit. Uh, I'm OK with that. But we went to a screening of the of Joel Cohen's Macbeth uh, a couple weeks ago, <laughs> and he's cracking jokes in the middle of it. And I'm like, Eli, now it's not the time. No, Ugh. no. <laughs> Let me appreciate the bard's words. This is the most Shakespeare has ever come up on one of our shows, too.
1: <laughs> it is. Never again. I bet. I bet we'll never cover another movie that has anything to do with Shakespeare.
0: No, that guy. uh kind of forgotten these days.
1: You want to talk about ten things I hate about you next week?
0: Ooh, uh, what about O? We could do a Julia Styles double feature.
2: Save the Last Dance. Triple it up.
0: Ooh, nice. Nicely played. I was trying to... I was like, there's, there's got to be another one.
2: Uh, Born Identity? Quadruple?
0: Okay, but that doesn't have any Shakespeare in it. To
2: Save, save the Last Dance doesn't have any Shakespeare in it? Isn't save,
0: it? Isn't Save the Last Dance a riff on, uh, West Side Story? It's I don't know. It's been like I've 20 never years seen... since I've seen <laughs> this movie.
1: I've never seen West Side Story. You've never seen... I don't do musicals.
0: Oh my god, Sean.
1: <laughs> we're doing. So, which
0: is funny because in two weeks we're doing a musical. <laughs> we're, we're doing a whole season of musicals. We gotta... oh yeah,
1: and two not one, <laughs>
0: two yeah. weeks. We're talking about
1: the Sound of Music, and I don't know what else. Yeah, we haven't. I don't know what it. I because I haven't seen it. Got it. Oh god. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna build up my. I got. It's gonna be really hard for me to sit down and push play on that. And... I don't know why. I don't know why. I just, I, I just have bad experiences with musicals.
0: I not only love. I was talking musicals earlier today with our friend Dylan, uh, and we were admitting to our. Uh, I was a big Rent guy when it first came out, um, and we're both uh, seemingly. Big Andrew Lloyd Webber fans, (laughs) which is very nerdy and kind of the most cliche basic bitch you can be when it comes to uh, that type of thing.
1: 525,600 minutes. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. How do you measure,
0: measure a life? Listen, I I was a teen when it came out. It hit like right at the right time for me.
1: Oh, yeah. My sister's... How old are you again?
0: 42.
1: 42. You're like my middle sister. Not my oldest sister. Middle sister's age. And, uh, oh, yeah. I remember them both being big rent heads at the time and having the CD. I watched that movie in a class. I took a class about um, plays and their film adaptations in junior college. And we watched Rent. And I remember the teacher was like, not crazy about it but she wanted to show us the movie so we could kind of dissect like what works and what doesn't work about it that's right there's some good jams in it yeah. i like music of the night i if oh if yeah. phantom of the opera could just be two hours of music of the night i'd be in <laughs> but i'm sure there's some real sleeper songs surrounding it that i'm not into and I meant to watch that Gerard Butler movie for a long time and I never did. The
0: uh Machine Gun Preacher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of the one where he's where he plays soccer or whatever. Uh no, <laughs> where are we? So um uh
1: I think Oh, it- when her friend takes care of her after she gets drunk, mm-hmm. and her friend she's like telling her friend, like, let me just just maybe just stay here until I fall asleep. Yes. <laughs> like, the entire house is exploding all of a sudden. That caught me off guard, man. Uh, it's, there was no visual to go with it, though, so it was like an audio-only jump scare, so mm-hmm. it was a little bit phony for me, but oh. it still really caught me off guard of, like, the friend vanishing. In, so- that, in that instant, Sarah Goldberg
0: vanished. I I had to go back and actually because in my mind it's all one shot, but it's actually two shots that they do it in, um,
1: where she lies down on the couch. So she's. Laying, I
0: remembered I remembered it being one like
1: Sarah Goldberg's there. She lays down. And she goes stay here, and like and then it takes off.
0: So they do this like kind of the same gag a few times in this movie. So she lays down, and Sarah Goldberg is. Uh, petting her her hair like stroking her hair comforting her and we're on uh, a semi-close of uh, Beth and we see Claire's hand running through her hair and they're talking to each other and then she moves her hand away and then the camera pulls back as that sound happens and she's not there at all so I figured out like how they did it was They must have had her leaning over the back of the couch and stroking her head. And then she ducks down behind the couch. But from when she sets her head down in the wide, it all feels like one shot because they return back to the same angle in this next camera move. So it all feels like continuous and like she just disappeared right in front of us. And it's I it was so, so well done from like a craft standpoint. I loved it.
1: Totally, because it was not telegraphed. Yeah jump scares i usually can spot oh it's coming from the two-thirds of the frame that's open we got the character on the left oh, right, scares right. coming from the right or whatever but this one <laughs> my, my my spider senses were not tingling
2: uh, um,
1: and, and then when she goes outside and she sees all those women running off the cliff mm-hmm. and jumping when the one woman sprints past her appearing out of thin air That scared the shit out of me, (laughs) man. Oh, because I haven't seen something quite like that where it's like it it was a beautiful simple effect, Mm -hmm. but it took me so off guard to see somebody flash right next to our character in full sprint.
0: Yeah. And everything about this movie is so simply done that it's like deceptive. And I love that about it. Um... Over the course of this night, where Beth gets drunk with her friends, she reveals Owen's uh, suicide note.
1: You were right. There is nothing. Nothing is after you. You're safe now. That's it. That's it. That's it. No, X O X O, your loving
2: husband.
0: Nothing.
1: What does that mean? Not a clue. my fucking clue. Other than I was living with a crazy person and didn't know it.
2: makes you wonder, though, doesn't
1: it? What else didn't I know?
0: <laughs> I
1: want to know.
0: And then uh she tells Claire that she, as a teenager, she was in a car accident and was clinically dead for four minutes and that when she died, she didn't see any light. She didn't see anything. Uh, There's
2: no
1: light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. Just tunnel. Yes. It's a good line. And where do you stand on death? Life after death. Let's uh, get real for a second. I
0: figured this was going to happen later in the, in the movie, but um, I think that we are all energy and our energy is returned to whatever source there is once it leaves our body. And, you know, much like our physical body goes to feed the trees, the, our life essence is out there and providing growth for, for something else in the world. Yeah. I'm, <laughs>
2: surprisingly,
0: I'm pretty much <laughs> okay, the same good. boat. <laughs> like
1: uh, conservation of energy, um, we have to talk about Swiss Army Man because there's a great bit in that movie that makes me cry every time. But it really kind of defines what it is, where it's just like all of our shit will mix together, basically,
2: mm-hmm. and, and and that's
1: just like the the universal energy of it all coming back inside and like reuniting with itself. And yeah, I don't understand any of it, and I'm definitely not positive and sure of this but i have a feeling i have a hope that's what it is mm-hmm. i i don't know i hope there's something i think there's something otherwise what every this all seems too preposterous for there not to be something else yes this whole universe system that was created from the big bang and like it it's so stupid and preposterous I, I, there's so many million different reasons why none of it really makes sense. Right, that something has to make sense. That makes sense. The- <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I like it. The uh,
1: but God, I will never tell anyone that they're wrong about what they believe.
0: No, I, I mean, had a
1: guy once tell me I was like well, I, I I told him I believe like well that's wrong. Uh, it's you know it's the Christian blah blah blah. I'm just like dude in a theological discussion. As soon as you tell somebody that's wrong, mm-hmm. you're completely negating everything that I'm going to ever hear you say. Because I yes. just think you're just an asshole.
0: It's like it's like the the only thing that I won't stand for is intolerance. <laughs> that's kind of the same boat. <laughs> uh wow. Um, that was a surprisingly <laughs> short detour <laughs> for such a uh, deep we, topic. We,
1: we got we got death figured out, man. Yeah,
0: we nailed it in one. Um So when
1: she's down on the dock, after all these women are jumping off, she goes down to the dock, and she sees that there's bloody footprints, Mm -hmm. and she turns the light on asks for a sign, or looks down again, and the footprints are right in front of her, and then they start to touch her face. She is very comfortable with, like, some bloody-footed spirit entity standing directly in front of her and then touching her face. Uh Uh-huh.
0: The I made a note here about uh, the fact that she sways like she just got done saying that she does not believe in life after death. There is nothingness. And then in the next moment, she is almost begging what she perceives to be the spirit of her dead husband to touch her (laughs) like and that also feels very real, like what you would be going through at that time of your long held belief. Versus your hope for that there is something you want that person to live on like for themselves and for you
1: years of cynicism, but then when it's your turn to be cynical, you still hold on to a shred of hope, even though yeah, yeah everything in your life has told you this is ridiculous yes and she she plays that great like, her arc in this movie, I think is tremendous, mm-hmm. and what's it, like Rebecca hall's just so good in this
0: um. It's uh, that old adage of there's no atheists in foxholes. That's what it reminded me of.
1: Oh, that's a good scene.
0: Yeah. Um, and this is another one of those gags where when the thing touches her, she's like blown backwards. And the way like it goes into slow motion or something for a second. And it's almost a matrix lean that she does. And then as she's falling down, she winds up in, inside the boat but it seems like it follows her down in one shot and then pulls back out and she's in the boat.
1: It's like somebody's dipping her on the dance floor. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then she's lying down in the boat. Yes. And there's a lot of stuff like that, that I think works so well in this, those geography breaks, or I don't know how to say it, but where the, the geographical continuity does not match up.
0: And it, uh, Having gone through disassociative episodes in the past, this also feels really true for what happens when you're in a traumatic state of like something happens and you, you black out, like you have no memory of what's going on. And then suddenly you wake up someplace else and, you know, I've, I've been there, unfortunately. and it feels very real of that your life becomes a waking dream and you can't quite grasp hold of what's happening around you i've
1: I've had close experience i don't think quite on that level only one point in my life i was living in berkeley had moved there from san francisco lived in an awful house and i was just so stressed i remember like I was not eating. I lost a ton of weight. It was just like a ball of anxiety. And I was walking Buster one day along the street, and I I just felt like I was detached from my body. Right mm-hmm. as I was walking, I was just floating and like watching a movie through my eyes, but not really feeling my legs moving or anything. And just everything felt like it was detached through like the second person kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And it's weird that in that state, you can still think, but it feels like it's not you thinking like it's happening on a different plane. It's weird because it's like the inverse of getting into the flow state. Like if you're playing music or for me, uh, if I'm writing or working on set or something, I'll be moving my body and doing things that I'm like, okay, I'm moving forward. But my brain is processing on a different plane it's like the inverse of that where it's like, I have no control over my body and it's just kind of going on its own. Um, it's like the same thing, but from the depressive side rather than the positive side, the productive side.
2: Wow. Uh, that's an interesting comparison of being in the zone where you're not aware of what you're doing, but you have control versus basically being autonomous. Mm-hmm. It's,
0: and they're both kind of scary if you think about them for too long. Cause <laughs> I feel like a ghost in a machine. <laughs> Um, so is this where she sees the lights across the lake and it's the mirrored version of her house? And there's a voice telling her that she's in a dream, but she doesn't seem to be in a dream. And then she sees a dark haired woman who kind of looks like her, but is not her in the window of the house. And then there's another woman in another window and her husband is there and attacks the woman. And she's like viewing all this from out on the shore. And I don't know, like so much of this, I think if you tried to describe it, I don't know how this script was written, basically, because if you sit down and lay these things out, it's like listening to somebody's dream where you go, oh, it was you, but it wasn't you. And we were in our old house, but it was actually the house I grew up in. But in a dream, you know, those things.
1: That's a good point, and just the mirrored aspect. Yes, it was the house, but it wasn't the house. Uh, the blood moon. Yeah. I, I think it's around the side. That reminds me of like Castlevania.
2: Which okay, is, which I love. In
1: in this lady's own way, she's off to fight Dracula. What's your character's name? Beth.
2: Beth, thank you. Um, is this? Um, she found the sculpture Yep.
0: No, uh, that's next. The My only note in between is that she runs into Mel because the next day after she wakes up, she goes across the lake again to look for this mystery house. Uh, and she runs into Mel on the walking path. And Mel's got a dog and it's a real good dog. I was just happy for this dog. He's only in one scene, but I love this dog. <laughs>
1: yeah, dog was never in danger. It yep. was just... Just there to brighten up the movie.
0: Yep. Mel, and you know Mel would have a dog like that. It just works.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, It's it's later that Mel tells her what he saw, right? Or is it at this point?
0: It's later because she goes and finds the half-built house in the woods that's like...
1: Yeah, this thing was like meth house central. Creepy as fuck. With just boards and plastic everywhere.
0: Yeah it's like it's fitting to get murdered as soon as you see that thing you're like oh this is a murder house this is where people get murdered at that's just what it seems like yeah that's what it's for
1: yeah no no one's gonna live in that building (laughs) uh
0: and she finds a creepy carved wooden doll with rods through it and it's like it's bound uh and it's Wrists and ankles, and they're like pulled back together, like hogtied, basically. But it's a figure. Have you of a ever woman. played
1: Soul Caliber? Uh, for like the literally fighting, five fighting minutes. Games? Yeah. There's a character in those games called Voldo, and he's basically like an SNM fighter. Okay. <laughs> so he's he does all sorts of weird poses like this. Where like, he'll like t- touch his hands behind his back to his feet, and then roll on the ground with knives and, and like. <laughs> Just a real kinky motherfucker. And the statue <laughs> reminds me a lot of him.
0: The The statue creeped me out, I, I think because of the rods. So I used to have uh, a stress dream that uh, rods fell from the sky. Like I would be having a normal day and then these rods would fall from the sky and pierce me to the ground and like stick me you wherever I
1: was. Final destination
0: two man? Oh, this is Which from when was that? This is stretches from when I was a kid. So it, it would predate the final destination. I predestined the final destinations.
1: I do remember as a kid, stories of construction workers falling onto rebar were mm-hmm. pretty popular. And then yeah. like oh yeah, so then they cut the rebar underneath him, and then he you they sent him to the hospital with, with it a sticking, out sticking out of his yes. stomach. Uh, And these were like common stories that I heard as a kid and I don't know why.
0: And also the the story of the guy who um, was working on uh, what laying down the railroad and a railroad spike went through his head and changed his personality.
2: No, I don't remember that one. No. I used to have. I, I
1: would I would imagine a railroad spike through your head would probably change some things.
0: Yes. Uh, his name was Phineas Gage. And Good name, yeah. It's a, I think it's a great name. Um, but he was neuroscience's most famous patient because uh, he uh, people learned a lot from his basically getting partially lobotomized.
2: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wonder if it was like a
1: railroad spikes for Algernon kind of scenario where he got smarter for a while.
0: I think what happened is he turned into an asshole. It made him real
2: rude. I mean, I would too, probably. Yes. yes. You got a big
1: chunk of metal hanging out of your head. Um, you know, it's funny. They say the same thing about Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> that they do. That, that guy does have a reputation of being an asshole. Really? Yeah. I did not know yeah. that. It's just when you hear sports people talk about Rudy, it's always like, oh, yeah, and that guy who turned out to kind of be a dick is. Uh...
0: <laughs> oh, that puts the movie in a whole different context, kind of, doesn't it? Like,
1: Yeah. So now we get to watch it.
0: You're all supporting an Don't asshole. Don't you like Sean whole... Astin? I do like Sean Astin, and I'm coming back around to The Lord of the Rings and all that stuff, too. Uh...
1: I tell you what, bud. Also, Rudy, iconic soundtrack. You've heard this soundtrack used in. Many other montages. Well, you don't watch much sports, though, do you? I don't watch
0: sports. Rudy is
1: like preseason montage or postseason montage, where it's just like a cut together, like all the big moments. Okay. it's awesome.
0: But for as much sports, we gotta watch as Rudy I, now. I'm getting pumped up just talking about it. I love sports movies. I think a sports movie is great. I find uh especially football to be really boring. But I also yeah. I bought season tickets for the soccer club here in Nashville cuz I want to be a supporter. Uh so I'm very excited about that. So That seems
1: more fun and also I imagine way cheaper and you're getting in and out in about 2 hours. Uh, whereas p- football game take fucking 4.
0: Yeah. Uh, plus it's um I think there's like 17 or 20 games. Next year,
1: uh,
2: you got to download the songbook. Are you going to learn all the songs? What
0: do you mean? There's one song. We, have, we, oh, we... well the, the
2: the
1: Portland soccer team. They treat it like it's England, where like the fans are always singing, and they have like a bunch of oh. different team songs that the crowd will bust into and so sing as the players are going.
0: So here, because we're Music City, we do have the team song, which everybody sings wait, wait, at the wait,
1: beginning. Wait, wait nashville's known for music i don't know if you know this <laughs> wow uh but and a lot of that newfangled country with the snaps right yes
0: we're very big into that unfortunately <laughs> um the uh fuck morgan wallen sorry the um <laughs> fuck you morgan wallen i don't even know who you are <laughs> uh he sucks so much and I, I didn't put him on our year-end list because he sucks. If if he wasn't who he was just based on his work, he would have gotten on. Well, but
1: you know what? He's on, he's on our rear-end list because he's an ass. Nicely done. Did,
0: did you... Is that one that you have, like, saved in the chamber, kind of ready to go? No, man. These are all just off the top. I think you could pull off some improv, then. I'm feeling good about it. <laughs> With my bad wordplay?
1: I don't think so. I don't okay. think wordplay and like changing one letter in a phrase
0: counts towards improv. You might be narrowcasting, and I would be the only person in the audience that would laugh at it, but it would be great. <laughs> um, this is when Beth goes to Mel's, and we see a little bit of Mel's house, and he's got like it seems like he's got like linoleum in the kitchen, like very 70s or 80s like the house has been yeah. there for a while uh and the just the woodwork looks like other lake houses that i've been in that were from kind of that era it like, looks lived in yes um and you just know with his dog like it would have that smell like you know your house smells like a dog after a while but it's really comforting dog if that's it's your dog. swimming
1: in the lake all the time
0: yeah oh such a good life i want to be male when i grow up Um, but Mel tells Beth that he found Owen on the path one day with another woman who looked a lot like Beth. And later Owen showed up at his house and confided, confided in him that he has urges, dark urges. And
1: if someone said I have dark urges, I'd be like. Sounds more ominous than trying to cheat on your wife.
0: Yes. Especially if they show up and they're all, like, sweaty and covered with blood. Like, that's... Uh,
1: yeah, like he had been fallen in the mud Yeah, and was disposing of a body. <laughs> showing yeah. up on my doorstep at 1am to tell me that you have dark urges. I'm, I'm releasing the hounds on you, sir.
0: <laughs> um. All through this, we've been seeing... Beth like go through her husband's things Um, this is where she found the pictures on his phone of women that look like her Um, what
2: do you think of her friend's advice
0: of stop digging I, I mean it's rough because you would never know I think it would always haunt you if you didn't try to get to the bottom of it but I do think ultimately it's probably better of like just accept what you had and the reality that you lived in.
1: Yeah, I, I think in real life, it's probably better to just move on. Yeah. Unless your partner was a demonically possessed serial killer trying to protect, protect you? you? Yes.
0: Question mark? Well, and I was going to mention, uh, because this is where we get into the weird imagery really deeply, because she finds the Cadonia book, or Cerdonia, Cerdoria. Uh, that she found his blueprints for the house, and it has like weird images. And
1: I love when and she's stuff. going through that that blueprint book. Yes, spooked the shit out of me. <laughs> and just the stuff where like she sees the mirror floorprint. Yep, on the opposite page with the tracing paper, and just and all the concentric circles, and then the maze. Or, like mazes confuse the, the demons and shit. Just like, yeah. Ooh. Where is this movie going?
0: I love that it's not your standard like crazy person notebook um, with like scrawled stuff all over the place. Like it looks like an architect's notebook. Everything is very clean. And even the, the notes, like seeing the word demon written out in that architect type, that like that penmanship that they all use, that they learn in school, is wild. Because you're like, this is someone who was fully in control of their faculties when they were writing these trap and confuse the demon. <laughs> and I think that's awesome. Uh,
1: uh, I still, I had such bad handwriting as a kid because I um, I was taught cursive. Mm-hmm. And I had shit handwriting and then I was told to write in cursive. So like through high school, I wrote in cursive because it was faster. Mm-hmm. But it was terrible. And then when I was uh, when I went to college to try to be a mechanical engineer they made you learn the architect everything is in block font Mm -hmm. i was like oh my god i can like i know it's slow but now i can read my notes i can look at my notes now and easily understand what they say without having to run through my own translation
0: uh my writing has been described uh, by a friend as looking like someone with the dt's Trying to write, whilst also being killed with a claw hammer.
2: So that it doesn't not, sound very good. No,
0: no, it's bad. It's very, very bad. <laughs> it is rough. I, I pity anybody who actually has to try to read my notes. And I am a longtime carrier, uh, not only of moleskin notebooks. I also this is really dorky. I have a space pen. That I carry with me at all times, so I'm ready to take notes in my Moleskine notebooks that I carry in my back pocket.
2: Does that pen write upside down?
0: Oh, this pen writes under water. This pen would write through butter or engine grease. It's a great pen. Go get it. Go go get a stick <laughs> of butter. I want to
1: see you jam <laughs> that pen into a stick of butter and then write a letter with and it. Write through Go it. ahead. I don't believe you. <laughs> it's uh... um. There's also a full Seinfeld episode about astronaut pen
0: yes it's a nice pen. Is that where you right got the idea out. no I actually got it from a fellow podcaster Merlin Mann, who writes uh, always has an astronaut pen and three by
2: five cards on him to take notes that
0: yep very nerdy productivity that... thing Wow this is a friend of yours no just uh long-time internet person I've admired.
1: Oh I see. I I thought he sent you the pen. Mm-hmm. I see. I gotcha.
0: No, he was talking well, on one of his shows. Then I'm gonna
1: make it. fun of him. If you're carrying around three
2: by five cards, <laughs> don't what?
0: What? <laughs> is this is where this is where I show you oh, my no. stack of three by five cards. Oh no <laughs> that sits on my desk. Why do you have three by five cards? So for the new script, I'm... What does that say? Okay, first of all, you can't read it. Secondly... No. For the new script I'm writing, uh, yeah. I put each scene gets its own card. So when I'm plotting out the, the thing, and this way you can, like, flip through it and read the movie scene by scene. Um And if you don't like one of the scenes, you can just tear the card up and throw it away and replace it easily. And you can also shuffle them around in the stack so that your, your mystery or whatever makes sense. Uh,
1: That's how the limey was made.
0: Yeah, and they just left them shuffled. <laughs> yep.
1: Thank you for understanding. <laughs> uh,
0: I wanted to mention uh, that some of the patterns that she sees in his notebook early show up in the architecture of their house, which I thought was awesome. Um, like one of the patterns is the pattern on their headboard. Uh, and then another one is like in the wainscoting or the trim, uh, like on the, the, the doorposts and stuff. It's very, yeah. we're starting
1: to see like human silhouettes in the woodwork of her house. And also what's really, sometimes it's like, it's just in the way that the hallway is configured with like a bookshelf in the background, Mm -hmm. but you know, like the way those shots are aligned creates this human silhouette. Uh, It's
0: awesome. That's I love that that aspect is there even when she's not seeing it. So it's like Yeah. It it creeps us out if you're noticing it. And, and when
1: she freaks out. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say when when she actually sees it then uh it's amazing. Because when the the void, I guess, turns, like the face turns and it's still nothing. But from the silhouette, you can see it turning. That's freaky as hell. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: great. Um, When she's freaking out and she knocks that statue off the desk Mm -hmm. and it lands upright. I wonder how many shots that took. I don't know. Uh, There's a great... Have you seen Dog Soldiers? Neil Marshall movie? There's a great shot that they talk about in the behind the scenes where... A soldier, they they're piling the furniture to create a blockade, and a soldier tosses a chair, and it perfectly sits on top of the pile. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Oh, that was literally the first shot, dude! Just nailed the perfect throw." And we say, "All
0: right, we're done, moving on." <laughs> uh, like Brian Cranston throwing the pizza on top of the house.
1: Oh, that's a good reference. Yeah, yeah, those those one shot miracles. Yep, uh, God, uh, that pizza was awesome.
0: Uh, as opposed to David Fincher. Requiring like fifty some shots of Mark Ruffalo throwing an envelope onto a car seat in Zodiac. Um, what? Yeah, and he does didn't. Fincher, e- if, does Fincher take a million takes? Fincher does a lot of takes. He's okay. He is meticulous. He's like Kubrick. I feel
1: like if you gave me fifty takes, you could edit together one where I look like a competent actor. <laughs>
0: Like, no matter what, yes, it's i I think his idea is to like drill the acting out of people or that's like uh there's a real old German
1: director or something back from like the thirties or whatever. It's not the passion of Joan of Arc, but someone else' director who they were notorious for like taking so many shots that the actors would start to not even recognize the words that they were saying. they were mm-hmm. just noises that their mouths were making.
0: Yeah, I think certain people. Um, I just read uh, David Mamet, a slim little book that he wrote called Undirecting Film. And it really kind of bummed me out like how he doesn't want actors to act. He's like, no, just perform emotion. That's it. Like, don't walk down the hall with purpose, just walk down the hall. The editing will give it purpose. Open this door. Don't look trepidatiously what? as you open the door. Just open the door. Everything should be
2: uninflected. I mean,
1: tell that to Lee Marvin in Point Blank when he's walking down that hallway. I that know. man's walking with a fucking purpose.
0: And, and it's like and that's why it works. It's it's direct opposition to. Um, there's a a great uh, interview with Nicolas Cage that just came out. It's like an hour long interview where he talks about. Uh, spends half of it talking about his career as a whole and then half talking about Pig specifically. And, um, he can justify all of his overacting in all of his movies. Like it it's choices that he's making to behave in a certain way and kind of try to blow up the idea of acting. And like, there's a reason that he acts big and huge in some scenes And then in, like, Pig and Leaving Las Vegas, he does these really small, intimate things. Like, he's very purposeful in all these things he does. And I appreciate it so much. And I'm like, David Mamet would not allow either end of this spectrum. He just wants in the middle, just perform one action, and that's it.
2: Cage is... He's like an envelope pusher, Mm -hmm. is how I see him. Just pushing the limits
1: trying to see what can make out of art yeah which is experimental like dolly or someone yes of
2: just because everyone
1: else is doing the normal thing let me do this weird shit and see like explore the craft of acting yep and yeah sometimes it just you watch a movie of this and you're like what the fuck is this <laughs> but then other times it completely works and elevates everything mm-hmm but he's taking risks, so that's the other thing. I I I respect like any artist who doesn't just dial into mediocrity because that's what will get them financial success. Like be weird, push the envelope, do your own thing. You probably won't make as much money, but hey, you got my respect, and that's worth more than gold. <laughs> 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 oh,
0: that's great. <laughs> uh. Uh, it's around now that Beth goes to this bookstore where some of his books came from. Um, and I feel like we've been tangenting a lot, but also I wanted to know if you have a bookstore like this, because we have one and I love it. It's one of my favorite places.
1: Like a mystical bookstore. Probably not that I've seen around. Well,
0: I don't think this place is just mystical. Like it has a bunch of other stuff too. Uh, but we have this place called Rhino books that is uh it's a used bookstore. It's got a store cat. Uh, and the shelves are like overflowing with stuff. And it's kind of maze. Like I think it took up like two different um, spaces that used to be like townhouses or Brownstone. And it it's both of them combined and you kind of wind your way through the different sections. It's really cool. And Um, Elizabeth and I went on our first date there. That's where I took her, uh, and I bought a book of Edward Hopper paintings that night from this bookstore. And it's like, it's just one of my favorite little places. It's, it's cozy and, uh, you can buy old, uh, trashy paperbacks there.
1: That sounds cool. Yeah. I've been going to the library lately. So, um, that's like a bookstore. I'm sure there's little bookstores in Santa Rosa and stuff, but no, just hitting the library and, um. Our library system's really, really good. There's a lot of cool stuff there. So, um, yeah, I'm going to check out Master and Commander book next.
0: Um, so this is where she finds uh, Madeline, works at this bookstore, who's one of the women that her husband took a picture of. Um,
1: looks eerily similar to Rebecca Hall, to Beth.
0: Yeah, like just a shorter version of her, maybe.
1: Yeah. She tells her that we never slept together, but he did flirt with me, and uh we went out and had drinks.
2: Yeah. Then uh, we get... Uh,
1: Beth does look scary in this scene, when she walks up to this girl, this mm-hmm. young woman, and confronts her. <laughs> so I could see her, like, murdering this woman at this bookstore. <laughs>
0: yes. And... This little, the the sequence from going into the bookstore, she's all kind of flustered and you can tell like she's lost in her own thoughts when she walks in and she's interrupting the guy, the cash register, asking him questions. And then she approaches this woman. So she goes from like, kind of in her own head to very forceful and upfront with this woman, but like frighteningly blank there's something about her that is just like, like, I'm not giving you anything. You're going to give me all your information and you get nothing from me. And then she tells her to
1: take her scrunchie off and take down her ponytail. Yes. That's really, really intimidating and scary.
0: Yeah. And it, uh, it's creepy and it makes me feel weird. And at this point, I think, especially in my first viewing, I was like, is this all about her going over the edge? Is like that what this is going to be about? Um,
1: I mean, she is a high school teacher, so it would be completely valid.
0: (laughs) She deserves it. She's earned that. Uh,
1: She has. All teachers
0: have. And then it goes from this into a dinner scene at uh, Claire's house with Claire and her family. And in this next scene, Beth is like enraged. And she, it's the most she swears in the movie. She like keeps saying fucking over and over again. And she's like on edge and very angry at her husband and this woman. And it's a more expressive kind of anger. And then Beth and Clara are outside, uh, like sharing a cigarette or something. And they're just parked up against a wall. Like they're both leaning against this wall in the carport, and she seems broken, and it's like such a good and i I realize it's all edited together, but th- just the little arc of emotions that you get to see in this sequence i think is is fantastic
1: um yeah i I think her embodiment of like all the different stages of grief, if you buy into that theory or not um you see them all. Flash across her throughout this movie at one point or another. The only thing I don't think we get is denial, but even then, the fact that she's pursuing this is kind of her own form of denial.
0: Yes. And um, in a little bit, when she hears, uh, well, she's not once before. I think she does it a couple times throughout the movie, but she uh, starts saying Owen's name out loud, like in the house. The music comes on, the Richard Thompson song comes on, and she like, like, Owen, Owen, it, it's hopeful. Like, it's wistful. It, but- oh,
1: so I've woken up once to my Google Home playing music mm-hmm. in the middle of the night, and that's fucked. I so confused, and like kind of freaked out. Three, four nights ago, Ripley starts howling in mm-hmm. her dream. And this happens, oh. like, once, maybe twice a year. Yeah. So, I'm in my bed, and all of a sudden just, it's just like, what the fuck is going on in here? I wake up, it's pitch black, and there's howling inside my house. Uh-huh. It scared me, man. It's like, the uh, one of the scariest things, it's like, if you wake up to a cat fight, mm-hmm. cat fights, that screaming that cats do, Yes. it,
0: it will, like, jolt me out of bed. So, uh, my cat Hopkins uh, occasionally the cats will fight in the middle of the night because Peter gets real wild and Hopkins gets very cozy, and so I think like their energies don't match, and like when one wants to play, they you know goes badly, but Hopkins at around four o'clock in the morning is pretty reliable; he will stand in our uh stairwell up to the second floor, and
2: yeah, yeah.
0: And it really is like someone talking. It's so disturbing and it cuts through everything else in the house. It's horrible. And uh, I have to go and either let him out or...
1: I love cats. They're the best.
0: (laughs) The thing is, I don't think I sent you the picture uh, of... That Elizabeth took of me a couple of weeks ago, uh, taking a, a night nap, um, at like five or five or six o'clock in the afternoon. And Hop- oh, dangerous game, yes. my friend. Hopkins, dangerous game. Hopkins comes and lays on my shoulder. Like I sleep on my side, and if if available, he comes and sits on my shoulder and like sleeps up there perched. And that's how we nap. He's my nap buddy. That's sweet. Yes, it's really great. Every
1: once in a while, I'll do like figure four where you're on your side and you bring your knees mm-hmm. up, and then Ripley will get in that little crook there Yeah, have her head on my knees, and that's just like that's guaranteed I'm falling asleep instantly if I have a dog ball oh, yeah. hanging out on me.
0: You get that little cinnamon bun going, and you're just out. It's so <laughs> cinnamon comforting. Cinnamon bun, I've
1: never heard that before. <laughs> that's what I always call the dogs when they do I, that. I call, them, I call them dog balls.
0: Dog ball works too.
1: Uh. So later when the girl, the bookstore girl, shows back up at the house and mm-hmm. she says, uh, Beth goes, How'd you know where I lived? And she said, Because he brought me here once. Me, with my sense of geography, yeah. <laughs> I've gone places 12 <laughs> times and I'm still using my fucking GPS because uh-huh. I'm still unsure of where my flower distributor is. Yes. So every time. <laughs> so the fact that this woman is like a homing pigeon. Where she remembered this lake house in the middle of nowhere from one visit. Uh-huh. Very impressive.
0: No, I I use my GPS all the time. Uh, even going to, like, the comedy club, which I go to, like, every other week. I'm like, nope, I need it. I need when it. I
1: was in high school, going to, like, I had to go, like, downtown San Diego to take an SAT test or something like that. I just remember, like, you know, go to MapQuest, print my MapQuest, and then I would just, like, study it. because I. I have anxiety about directions and mm-hmm. parking and that sort of thing. And it comes, apparently I had it as a teenager because I remember freaking out and stressing so hard, just going anywhere until I got like that first GPS. And then I was like, all right, well at least now I'll always be able to like make it home right. or whatever, you know?
0: That's amazing. Like I not only started driving before MapQuest was a thing and GPS was the thing. Like, I remember my parents using the Thomas
1: brothers. Was that like a a map? The Thomas guide, the yeah, almanac or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. not almanac, but map book.
0: Yeah. Um, and then my dad had a GPS for the plane, uh, but we never had one like in the car. I'm,
2: I'm sorry, you're
1: did your dad just fly you to school?
0: What? No, we would fly like. To other places kind of in the uh around the Chicagoland area for dinner or stuff sometimes? Because that's what you do. You, I'm sorry,
1: have you told me about <laughs> your dad being an uh, an
0: aviator? I don't think so. When my uh I was like fifteen and sixteen, I was just learning how to drive. Um my dad your got, dad
1: had to one up you and learn how to fly.
0: <laughs> yes. He got his pilot license in like six months because can't
1: can't let Josh take the attention off of me.
0: No, look at me, guys. I'm shiny, too. Yeah, he uh, and I remember like helping him study for his tests and everything, and I don't think he helped me study for mine. So that's just rude. (laughs) Dad,
1: you know you can't fly faster than 25 miles per hour in an alley. (laughs) That's hilarious. You're your dad cracks me up. Yeah. I, 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 know, <laughs> I know you've had struggles. But the, uh, like, just the things that you've told me about your dad, just, yeah. they really make me laugh. <laughs> Good. Um, what else kind of made me laugh is, later on, we get like a direct homage to Ghost when the Ghost is writing in the bathroom mirror in the fog.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, oh, that's a little Patrick Swayze nod. Oh, this was when, uh, I made my note about, uh, the afterlife because I did have one anecdote. My great grandmother for, for my whole life talked
2: to her dead husband. He like, like just
0: casually. Yeah. Like he was still in the house with her. And if you would go over there with like, like the whole family was going over she wouldn't really do it, but I would go over and spend the night. Um, and she was great, like like all grandmas, right? She would make me cookies and whatever else I wanted. And
1: My grandma is one of the most self-centered narcissistic oh, people God. I've ever met. I am so is- sorry. No, I, I, I had cool grandma and grandpa, but they were up in like middle California, so I didn't see them that often. No, the grandma I got stuck with is... It's unbelievable, her narcissism. It's on another
0: level. Oh, God. I am so sorry. Dude, <laughs> I still have one grandma. I hope she's not listening. I know she's I a d-
1: big fan of broadcasts. <laughs> <intelligence.
0: laughs> uh, oh, oh, no, there's a whole family. Well, especially with her. But my, my great grandma Spangler, um, I would go to her house and uh, like I said, she would make cookies. And she would uh, let me stay up watching like WGN. um, And, you know, they would show like, I don't know, Godzilla movies and stuff late at night. uh, And it was a great time. But if you were there and it was just a couple people there, she would, I think his name was George. She would talk to George and be like, yeah, yeah, like his chair, like she would talk to his chair, like he was still sitting in it. And it
2: it's incredibly sweet. Like, so this didn't freak you
0: out? No, it was a very comforting kind of thing. It didn't freak me out nearly as much as uh, the fact that she kept uh, had little dolls uh, all over the house. I didn't like that at all.
1: You, you held up your finger like she had three two-inch dolls?
0: Uh, well, I'm specifically thinking of um, in the bathroom, there was one... Uh, sewn into or crocheted into um, kind of a dress that would go over toilet paper as kind of a toilet paper cozy to hide your extra toilet paper from your, from the guests, but you know Uh where it is when you need it. So there was a doll and the the feet go down in the tube and the doll's head pokes up and it looks like it's wearing a dress. Um, And I would have to get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom and see this thing sitting on the back of the toilet tank. And it would freak me out. Like, I had to like turn the doll away, and I hated touching it. But I couldn't also couldn't let it look at my penis. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> my, my grandma
1: got the kids for Easter a few years ago. Like it's like a a bunny doll, but with a porcelain child's face. And a stuffed rabbit with a child face, porcelain and the yeah. kids were all terrified of it. And they were all, like freaked out and didn't want it in their room and shit. No, I don't like that at all. That's very upsetting. Uh what's your what's your next note cuz my next note is a a really cool hug scene as we're kind of approaching the end of this movie here.
0: Um I had uh... Oh, Beth goes back to the the half built house and sees an ear under the floor. <laughs> Which, oh,
1: yeah, and then sees a lot more ears.
0: Yeah, like when she sticks There's her a head whole bunch down in the bunch. hole. There's like a
1: whole a whole community uh, down there.
0: Yeah, like from from fairly fresh to mummified. Just
2: the dude's, whole dude's been at it for a while. Yeah, uh, it's it's real
0: gross. I would just imagine the smell of like you break that floorboard and what would have to be coming up through that
2: no <laughs> uh, in the the bathroom shot
0: is what I have uh also that it's like she's clearly in the bathroom and then there's a shot with the the fogged up mirror behind her and it just looks like she's in a like in another region, like in a dream space or something, or maybe in the the version of Limbo from the end of Poltergeist 2, <laughs> where it's just clouds. Um, and grandma floating around. Yes, that uh, <laughs> like suddenly she's like detached from reality. Totally. There's no there's nothing around her and it's just this fogged up mirror window and you kind of can't tell. If it's her or her reflection and which way she's even going, it's really, really cool.
1: Yeah, well, because at one point, dude smashes a woman's head into the mirror and then her head gets smashed into the mirror. And then that somehow propels her into the mirror universe. Yes. Uh, This movie crazy.
0: (laughs) Uh, And the part where were you talking about when. When When she approaches
1: Owen. And yes. gives him a hug, and you see her fingertips yes. flexing against his invisible body. And then when he turns her around and does that thing where you can tell he's putting his chin on his shoulder, uh-huh. just as that girl had said he had done. And then when he says, I'm not Owen, uh huh, that was goosebumps- From top to bottom, man. Yep. I I had kind of toyed with the notion, of like, maybe, like, how does she know who this entity is? But when that line was said, oh, fuck this. I am, like, (laughs) I am out of here, man. I'm jumping (laughs) out of my skin.
0: That whole little sequence, like, you see her fingerprints, or her fingers, like, indent as she touches nothing. And then it, it ripples over her skin and her clothes, and like, depresses her skin, and you just see like, this hand moving over her, and...
1: You know, it's funny, this co- this cost Verhoeven like, $150 million to do, 15, right. 20 years ago, yeah. and now you can just do it in like, the lowest budget movie.
0: Uh I was gonna say, this is way better than the Dan Aykroyd blowjob scene in Ghostbusters.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I... Have not seen Ghostbusters in twenty years, and
1: I last time I probably saw it, I was at the age where I didn't, I didn't know mm-hmm. what was happening. So I I don't remember Dan Aykroyd getting a blowjob, even though it's a very famous scene.
0: Oh, I starkly remember that from my childhood. Seeing a grown man's underwear and bulge was definitely stuck in my brain.
2: Wow. Yeah.
0: Beloved comedian and conspiracy theorist Dan Aykroyd. You see you see his whole package.
1: Oh, yeah, he's... Oh, that makes sense. That's why he probably made crystal head vodka. Yes! Because he's into, like, crystal skull bullshit. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he was... I will say, I watched new Ghostbusters recently. Mm-hmm. I think Dan Aykroyd has aged pretty well. I, he definitely has.
0: Not as well as Ernie Hudson, though.
1: Ernie Hudson? My God, that man has like the fountain of youth or something. I didn't make sense how good Ernie
0: Hudson looked. (laughs) He shows up next to Bill Murray and you're like, what the hell?
1: Yeah,
2: it's incredible.
0: Yeah. Uh, This is where everything is happening all at once. Uh, After she goes through the mirror, she's in the reversed house and she's seeing all these different versions of Owen. Like seducing women and then attacking women that all kind of look like her and also the whole time she's getting picked up and thrown around the house and fighting with this invisible force that just re- revealed that it's not Owen. I called it the Void. The Void Force. Um, Void's a good name for it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and we see more like silhouette shapes in the frames of the house and stuff and like, mm-hmm. the silhouettes are now coming after her. Yeah, it, it's wild. it It's really, really cool. But sounds. How do you pull this off? Because writing that on paper, like the door frame takes a face shape and then looks oh. like it's chasing her. It's like
0: what? Right. <laughs> what? And the uh the Owen that is the not Owen because it says when she says that it's Owen, he says that it's nothing. No, I'm nothing. Um, turns. And is in profile for a minute, the same way that you see all the other, the face shapes when they start. And I was like, like, that looks, I wonder if they like matted that and cut it out to use for the face shape because it looks so good, so close to what you see.
1: So we're in the boat, we got a blood moon, and then we got Mel and her best friend see her in the daylight, sitting in the boat, she has the gun in her hand, right?
0: Yes, and the the nothing tells her that it's been coming for her since the accident she had as a teenager, and that Owen tricked it by feeding it other women who looked similar in building uh, a trap house. <laughs> I called it the trap house across the lake. Uh, oh, and somewhere in here, before it takes her to the boat, uh, it puts her in the position of the wooden idol. It like she floats in the air and uh she's bound up into that same position.
1: Yeah. Um the nothing stuff kind of reminds me of the Odyssey of like oh yeah. Uh Odys- Odysseus telling the the cyclops that my name is no man yeah. or whatever and then no man hurt me and no man blinded me or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um where that note which is there's nothing after you? Yes. But the fact that nothing is an entity of so nothing is after you. Right. That's scary. Yep. Like, the void is pursuing you. Um, And the way this movie ends where she doesn't shoot herself and her friend, like, in desperation, I really like Sarah swimming out to that boat and dragging her friend into the water. Felt cathartic, but at the same time, n- nothing is resolved at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so... Because she says there's, there's nothing there, but, n- exactly, nothing is sitting in the boat. You can see its silhouette in yes. the last shot.
0: And she's floating in the boat. She has the gun that Owen killed himself with. She turns it on herself, and then apparently chooses life, as Sarah is calling to her, um, or when she gets dragged out of the boat, it's kind of chosen for her, but it's it puts this weird conundrum into place that her belief is that there's nothing after death, but the fact that there is something that calls itself the nothing that is something <laughs> after death. So it's very much like kind of confusing. And then I always wonder at the end of a horror movie, uh, how do you explain if you're the final girl, like 12 of my friends got chopped up kind of a thing. The same situation. She might have chosen life in this moment, but she just discovered that her husband, either of his own volition or through possession, has killed multiple women over the years. Like, she's yeah. gonna have to live with that shit.
2: No, no. It, it,
1: this, the ending kind of took me aback because it's like I don't know where we're left off with her. Yeah. And so I, I like it as far as like it's not a Hollywood wrap-up ending but at the same time I'm sitting here just kind of perplexed of like, what, what now? Now that she knows that this thing is after her but It's just like the knowledge that it's after her. Does that mean that like it's because she made this choice, it's not going to fuck with her anymore. Or this was just stage one. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it going to go after her friend or someone? Like, I don't know. And it's kind of like a final destination. The idea of like death pursuing you.
0: Yes. And the thought that it could just be like uh, the whole thing could be a metaphor for her dealing with grief and then choosing to go on with her life is complicated by the house full of bodies across the lake. <laughs> like it's not so right. simple as like, Oh, this could have all played out in her mind. Like, no, there is something fucky going on and she's going to have to still contend with that either. Like, does she tell the authorities what happened at this point and ruin her, her husband's? legacy and her own life?
2: I think you have to.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You you stumbled across a murder house with like eight bodies in it. Uh. Yeah. Uh, So, not quite a happy ending. Not quite a downer ending. Just kind of ambiguous, which is, you know, I guess that's true to life. Yeah. And grief is that you're not as uh, as we hear in the second movie when that woman's talking to the group and she says something like um there is no there is no like greater
2: meaning or whatever she says something along those lines those lines
0: um so right before we give our ratings here uh, I did want to mention that if you are on letterboxed and you look up the night house uh, it actually pulls up a curated list from the writers of The Night House, which um, David Bruckner didn't write it. Ben Collins and Luke uh, Petrowski did. And they did a list of all of their influenced, all the movies that influenced them and commentary on this list on Letterboxd, which is a great resource if you want to dig deeper into what this movie does. And, of course, there's stuff like... Um, David Lynch, on there because it seems almost impossible that this would not be influenced by his work.
1: <laughs> we'll we'll talk about Lynch one day.
0: Yes, <laughs>
1: I. I'll put I'll put it this way. I struggle with him,
0: uh, which I think is is fine.
1: I've seen three of his movies in the first season of Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. and I I. On it, I don't really know how to feel about any of it.
0: It's taken me a long time, but I've I've very much come
2: around to appreciating him a lot more than I thought I did.
0: Uh I also just realized that these writers who wrote this also wrote the movie Super Dark Times, uh, which is great. I think Andrew and I might have covered it um on my old show, but That led me to their podcast where they cover the um, Neon neon Genesis Evangelion, uh, and I was like, I want to get into some anime, who are some smart guys that can lead me, these guys who made this great movie. Uh, And so, once again, very circular, Uh, it's a small world.
1: I'm watching my second Miyazaki tonight. Ooh, what's that going to be? Nausicaa?
0: Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind.
1: Yeah. yeah, that sounds right. Yep, I think we're going chronological because we started
2: with Castle of Cagliostro. Okay. Yeah, I th- I think uh, you're moving into the
0: the more renowned period of stuff. Didn't you yeah. watch Mononoke? Cagliostro?
1: Cagliostro was pretty good, but I was I didn't really connect with it. So I'm looking forward to. Less French-inspired, more straight-up Miyazaki
0: stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to let me know when you're doing um, Spirited Away, because that is by far my favorite.
2: Uh, yeah, well, a couple movies, I think. A couple weeks. So, what do you rate this one? Uh, I'm a s- strong four out of five. Mm-hmm. i it, it spooked me um
1: it had it brought up a lot of great points about like grief and the analysis and dissection of grief uh Rebecca Hall is excellent um I think on rewatch, maybe the ending will click with me a bit differently, but I think that ambiguous ending didn't quite do it for me. Mm-hmm. I I don't I I think I just somehow I wanted a little more than he's killing women to protect. I I don't know. I I wanted something a little more cosmic, one way or another, or or just something different, I guess, from the ending. How about you?
0: Um, just you saying that makes me think that a lot of this could fit very easily into the Benson and Moorhead, uh, type. Yeah. Stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, like, like
1: this would fit right in with Resolution and the Endless. Yes. And that one. That one broken down house did remind me a bit of Resolution. Yeah. Of this, like, a similar location.
0: Uh, I'm also four out of five, and it's weird because the, the ending struck me differently the second time, and I appreciate it, but I don't like it. Like, personally, my emotions don't like this ending. I don't. Like the, it's not even that it's unresolved. It's how much bad shit there is still left for this woman to deal with.
2: I could, I could see that for sure. Yeah, but then again,
1: I don't want it to end on like a sunshine and roses, and his soul has been laid to rest and everything is okay again, and the sun sets over the beautiful lake. That's not what I want either. But I'm not really sure how I would want this movie to
0: end. Yeah, you kind of get the idea of that um, like either the memory of her husband or his spirit or something is like tortured or in control of this nothing. Uh, And that's upsetting because at least his image to her, he controls that. And that's like on a a spiritual level, that's upsetting. I don't
2: like that. Um, But... Again, like
1: watching this movie and then going straight into broadcast signal intrusion, I think I called it interruption a bunch of times on last week's episode or whatever. (laughs) Um, These movies really feed one into it, one into the other in a great way. So I'm really looking forward to talking about this next one.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: Next movie we're going to be talking about is broadcast signal intrusion from twenty twenty one directed by Jacob Gentry and written by Phil Drinkwater and Tim Woodall uh that's funny, I was just drinking water. We are not including that. I'm cutting that right now. <laughs> make a note cut it <laughs> uh, and we got Ben Lovett composing the music for this one also and uh so Josh, you chose this one as well and I, I when we first paired these two, I thought we were just pairing these movies because they were two horrorish movies that came out in twenty twenty one, kind of in the second half. I had no idea how many parallels there were between
2: these two. Well, and I did just find one more, which I okay. pers- I personally love. Uh, director.
0: Jacob Gentry. Did you hear my cat?
2: Yeah, that's that's the middle of the night sound. Except for it's normally longer. Yeah, that would that
1: would creep me out for sure. Uh, Sounds like it'd be like one of the ring kids or not ring kids. One of the grudge kids in your house.
0: Uh, Director Jacob Gentry is a Nashville native.
2: So he's a local boy it's all
1: coming full circle
0: you guys have probably crossed paths oh that'd be wild I could tell him how much I appreciate his movies at least the two that I've seen because I have never seen uh, my super psycho sweet 16
2: I don't think that exists
1: I know it's listed but good luck finding that
0: or synchronicity
1: I have seen synchronicity
2: yeah With A.J. Bowen?
1: No, I saw Synchronic. I've meant to see Synchronicity. Synchronic was the Benson Moorhead time travel drug movie that came out last year. Synchronicity is something else.
0: Yes, but it is also a time travel movie. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I feel like when you have Kron in there, you're usually doing something with time. Also, have you seen Time Crimes? Time Crimes is great. Ah, uh, we'd love to talk time crimes yes uh
0: so this movie came to my attention because of our good friend George uh early on last year, he got to see it through a festival screening, an online festival screening, and had it as one of his favorites of the year, kind of at the halfway mark, I think, uh, and so it was always high up on his letterbox, and I kept seeing it and Basically, as soon as it it dropped to be able to pick up, I did based on his strong recommendation. And I think it's a either $6.99 or $9.99 purchase on iTunes. So, um, you know, I'm a sucker for these things. It's an indie movie uh, from a guy that I kind of know his work. So, yeah, I was into it. And I watched it the first time late at night. This was like maybe I started it at like midnight or one o'clock in the morning. Uh, and man, that is a funky vibe to go to sleep to is finishing. You finished it? Yeah. Finishing this movie because it was one, uh, I have a habit of starting a movie. I'll get a half hour or an hour into it and then finish it the next day.
1: I know you do that a lot. I rarely do that. I do it all the time. I did it. If I'm I'm sleepy, I watch TVs, TV. I don't watch movies when I'm sleepy.
0: No, if I watch TV, I'll watch like six episodes. (laughs) I'll stay up for three hours for some reason.
1: Yeah. Like me with the terror. Just yeah, fucking watching way too late into the night.
0: Just plow through it. Um, but no, this one grabbed me, and I was like, "This I couldn't sleep without this being resolved, which, you know, joke's so on me. So
1: I asked you which one you wanted to watch first, mm-hmm. and you said Nighthouse, because I want to live in that world of broadcast signal as long as I can.
0: Yes. So
1: what what about is it the noir vibe? It, what what's pulling you in? The technical film geek shit of working on cameras?
0: It's I love that part. I love uh the score for this. Uh I the think... score is
1: really good. It's I you don't get saxophone much no. in, in movies anymore. And like the, the saxophone combined with the orange lit streets at night. Mm-hmm. I the night lighting in this movie, it's it's everything is orange and i loved
0: it it yeah. looks so good the uh, there's a scene later where he's in a basement and he walks from like uh there's like a yellow sodium arc vapor uh look to hit to him as he's walking through this kind of hallway and then he emerges into this warmer room and it's just so well done and i'm like they didn't have a huge budget for this thing um I can't imagine it being a huge crew. The credits are not that long. <laughs> so there wasn't a whole lot of people to support this. And it looks aces. I like and the way they shoot Chicago. I also really love. And there's something about. I mean, this was like around the, the last times that I was in Chicago and spending a lot of time up there was about the time that this takes place, like late 90s, early 2000s. This is
2: 99, right? Yeah, I think so yeah uh so what do you when i think of chicago movies i'm going like john hughes
1: basically okay so what which is a very different side to chicago or it's like i feel like that's like suburbs and downtown financial district or something so what like what's the vibe of chicago that you kind of remember
0: um i loved going up there My mom and I would go up uh, on the train and go shopping, um, you know, like once or twice a year, that kind of a thing. Um, Once I started driving, I would drive up to Chicago and it became like the first city that I knew at all. Uh, And because it was like an hour and a half, two hours from where I lived, which and there's nothing in between. There's. Gary in East Chicago in Michigan City, which is all, like, it's fine. Michigan City is good for, um, used to be good for shopping, but Gary is good for getting out of as quickly as you can. (laughs) It's terrifying. Um, Terrifying? Why? uh, Gary, despite being the home of uh, Michael Jackson, was also the home of murder for a long time and had a murder rate higher than Chicago itself, despite being a much smaller really? town. Really? Yep. Wow. Yeah, like per capita, it rivaled um, New Orleans, which I think was way up there. Uh, it was the only place that I've ever been to to this day that the McDonald's had uh, metal detectors and uh, policemen uh,
2: guarding it. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Very. Yeah, McDo-
1: <laughs> shit seems to go down around McDonald's, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> no, no matter what city you're in, if there's a McDonald's. uh There's just action going on around there, one way or another, you know. And in San Francisco, there's a McDonald's really close to Hayd Ashbury and like adjacent to this park, and so you, j- you just get er- everything in between, every kind of person in between going in there. It's always chaos.
0: Oh yeah. Especially when you've got like, um, people like business people coming in for their lunch and then the street people who live around there who are kind of like encamped in there and it's all mixing in the middle of the day. Oh, that's wild. But, uh, also Chicago was like, we talked about this a little bit in the, in the Candyman episode that was like my city and it's become like my movie city. I've never been to New York, but if you go through, like you said, the John Hughes movies, um, High Fidelity, uh, things like The Fugitive, uh, these are all, you know, it's, it's where they take place. It's where real things happen. New York is a fantasy. Chicago is the real place.
1: Fugitive's good. Yeah. I watched it a lot as a kid, and now I think it would be too stressful. I don't like movies where it's like, 2 hours of stress like that one is, you know, like I that movie is, I need a movie to relent off the stress pedal every now and then and give me some
2: you know, uh some lighter moments. Uh also Thief. That's one I came to later in in a little later in life, but that's a great Chicago movie. Thief. <laughs> I, I I I'm I'm a real
1: uh, how do I put this without sounding like a real misogynistic asshole? I wanna, I wanna edit Thief and mm-hmm. Heat and just cut out. I, I cut out all the sappy shit, which basically just means writing, what? editing out every single female role in both those movies. Uh-huh. I don't care about James Caan adopting a child. And Heat is Heat's excellent, but when I rewatch Heat. I'm not rewatching heat for De Niro's relationship with his girlfriend or Kilmer's broken relationship with his wife and rewatching heat for bank high shit. I would love a 90 minute cut of heat.
0: Oh no. Like there's something about seeing, um, Natalie Portman's suicide attempt. Once again, we're going to suicide and in the middle of that (laughs) movie, that is like the fallout you just get these drips and drives of it, but you have to see how these men impact the women around them, and
1: it it works. I just okay, don't want to okay. re on a rewatch. That's not why I'm watch. It's it works, and it's <laughs> it's a very strong point of like why that movie is so good and so regarded. But when I'm rewatching it, I just want to see the armored van heist. Mm-hmm. The The heist where they steal uh, Val Kilmer going to the construction site then doing the money handoff and then like the bank robbery and that's like, that's pretty much it for Heat. And then the finale. Uh, Give me that Moby song at the very end. And then I'm good to go. Good to go. 90 minutes in and out. Wash my hands. Done.
0: What about uh, De Niro standing in that, that house? uh looking out over the ocean.
2: I don't remember that. When is De Niro looks at an ocean
0: when he's talking to his girlfriend? Um it's after that. Is it De Niro? There's a famous there's a shot that is copied from a painting. Um that is like pretty mm-hmm. gets used a lot. If if you were on social media and you followed things like one perfect shot, you would see it a lot.
1: Um, you know, what? I'm even. I'm cutting the diner scene between De Niro and Pacino. What? Let's just get to it. <laughs> I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> Forget about the foreplay. Let's get straight to penetration. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we need to. We we need to get going. We. So, we meet uh, Harry Shrum Jr. Who I don't know that I recognize him from anything else.
1: He's. I looked him up. His biggest thing seems to be Crazy Rich Asians, which I did not see. Uh, I haven't seen him in anything. Okay. This was my first Harry Shrim Jr. vehicle.
0: Uh, oh, he is in the new Daniels movie, though.
1: Oh, yeah, that's, that's one Swiss Army Man directors I'm not going to watch. That's one I'm going to go in blind to see. Yeah. But I've been waiting for a new Daniels movie for a while so i'm excited about that one i they just started to release uh trailers or something for it right
0: yep yeah Uh, i saw one yesterday when i was when i went and saw nightmare alley so
1: yeah that'll be a must watch for me 100 percent
0: um but uh, i'm gonna say right off the top here and probably a couple times throughout i think he is fantastic in this movie like much like Rebecca Hall has to carry the last one, this dude has to carry this one. And he doesn't have nearly the same range of emotions to play. Uh, he's mostly... I...
1: Oh! There's my there's my problem. Dis- okay. This guy, he's too reserved for me. Mm-hmm. This is like a real... To me, this performance felt real one-note. Mm-hmm. And we never see this guy... Evolve out of like just kind of quiet, subdued, driven to figure out the answer. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, like towards the end, he kind of has some flashes of anger. Yeah. But overall, it's just like it, cards were held too tightly to his chest, basically. Okay. Where Rebecca Hall, you get more moments where she's open and revealing and yeah. having gallows humor or whatever. And this guy, I feel like, is just... And also the fact that she had reached that state a week after her partner had died, and he's now, like, two and a half plus years mm-hmm. post his partner's death or disappearance, and he's he seems to not be dealing with the grief nearly as well as she seems to be dealing with it. Mm-hmm. I don't. He's he doesn't seem to be confronting things. He's in group and stuff. We'll we'll get into the the group conversation later. But I'm just not getting it out of him. I I wanted more, I wanted something more.
0: Okay, and I can totally respect that too. Um, I didn't think about the distance, the time distance between um, uh, missing his wife or his wife going missing, and uh, and when we catch up with him. But he's living a shadow life. Like he works at night. Um, He's like I
1: like that his coworker is only seen through post-it notes. Yes, or his
0: boss is only
1: a post-it note on the desk. I thought that was a nice, real nice touch. Yep.
0: Um, And he's he reminded me of Neo at the beginning of the Matrix.
1: Well, yeah. He's opening shot. He's sleeping on his desk on his arm. Yeah, just like Neo. Right. Yep. And then when you get the chat room stuff later on. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's a that's a good pull.
0: And he uh has a mysterious guy come to his house and he gives him a thing that he fixed for him. Kind of this like This
1: man bad negotiator.
0: Oh, horrible. This
1: man negotiates himself from $50 to 500. Uh-huh. Just, just saying.
2: Yeah, I
1: wouldn't want this guy going with me to a used car lot.
0: <laughs> no, your car is worth much more than that. Um, <laughs> so, you mentioned it. We meet James uh, at his job. He's working as an archivist at a, a cable station in Chicago. Um,
1: Which is it's great. What a what a, like a late nineties thing of transferring VHS to DVD. Yes, you know that I remember those businesses were popping up around that time of bring us all your home movies and mm-hmm. we'll preserve them
0: um which i've done some of this stuff for from doing film things of having to track down players um because in the early 2000s i would do a lot of uh, uh press kits for comedians and bands around town and a lot of their material would be on like broadcast tapes at that point in time it's like, that's what they were given. So I had to actually find broadcast players that I could plug into and transfer it to mini DV and then transfer it to DVD. What?
1: What is the format of a broadcast tape? I've never heard of that.
0: Oh, it's a, it's a beta.
2: Um, uh,
0: it's it, yeah, there's a specific <laughs> beta version that states So
1: it wouldn't, it wouldn't work in a regular Betamax player. No i see
0: yeah they had like a, a broadcast uh because the home beta max, home beta players like cut off at a certain point and the broadcast industry continued on with it because it was uh as the guy says in here it's a better quality than the vhs yeah better resolution yep um
1: i i thought as soon as like they started talking about that and the guy's looking at his camera that he took apart and they're using all these old cameras i'm just like oh I know why Josh is into this. <laughs> well, He's just like scratching all of those like nerdy film itches that he
0: has, and specifically the the camera that the guy negotiates out of him.
1: Oh, where it's 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 kind of like a shotgun camera where you you're holding it like a, in front of your eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: that's that is a PXL two thousand, and uh, my buddy Cameron has a few of those in his arsenal. Um, but people have modified them now, but they record to audio tape. It records video to audio tape. And basically the only way you can play it back is in that same thing. But they were like a big thing. The cassette tapes?
2: Yes. Whoa, yeah. that's weird.
0: Yeah. We've been trying Whoa. for years to figure out something. to. I mean, like it's super low resolution. We, we did different resolutions in um, reenactment using different types of cameras. Uh, But we have not delved so far into what this thing can do yet, but they're real fun. It's a real fun little camera. And if I was like uh, 10 or 12 years old and had been given one of those, I would have loved it. I would love
2: the shit out of that thing.
0: You looked like you were going to say something. You looked...
1: there's nothing there uh, you had i was uh i had a mini i had a mini dv cam in high school mm-hmm. and we right, that was where i took my first film class was uh junior senior year and that class was like you could just go off and like walk around campus as long as you had a camera in your hand mm-hmm. like staff or whatever wouldn't really question you my friends and i were like Doing car stunts in the school parking lot, <laughs> shit. <laughs> like we should not have been doing these things. Like my friend, like jumping off a ledge into the bed of a pickup truck, and he was like an offensive lineman who had a bad knee, and like he kind of oh, fucked God. his knee up. Jump and just <laughs> all sorts of crazy shit. That's fun. I way. wish I. I wish we still had. We were bad about like keeping records mm-hmm. back then, and everything was on mini DV tape. So those are all. Oh, those movies are lost to time. I mean, none of them were good. They were all like iMovie wipes and yep. horrible needle drops of POD. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> just, just you know, like your run-of-the-mill, like shit high school film.
0: Uh, I remember
1: nothing. Every, everything is in-camera audio because mm-hmm. just I swear to God, the guy didn't teach us about ADR. And I didn't learn about ADR and like how like how fake movies are until I was in my I don't know mid twenties Mm -hmm. when I learned that like oh yeah all like any outdoor audio is basically completely created again from scratch in a Foley studio in ADR
0: yeah Uh, I did do a uh, actually it was a Macbeth uh, adaptation that was my first like filmed project i did a lot of um fake music videos when i was younger but i did a macbeth for maybe a junior year project and i remember emptying a bunch of um those little twists of paper that you throw down and they pop they have a little bit of gunpowder or whatever in
1: them snappers yes
0: i remember emptying a bunch of those into a bowl to try to make a smoke like try to have like an explosion yeah, uh, yeah, that was that's that's a bad idea. <laughs> How'd that go? Uh, not well, because you can't like light it, like light the the stuff and get away out of the shot very quickly.
2: Well, you, you,
1: that's what fuses are for, my dear boy.
0: Yeah, but I was like fifteen or sixteen. I had no idea.
1: Also, you just dumped a bunch of them individually wrapped into a bowl.
0: No, like opened them, opened them up. Oh, untwisted. Oh, them yeah. Good, and, good yeah. for you. So you made like a little miniature bomb. Yes, basically. <laughs> <laughs> good which, for you. Which we set off in my friend's woods uh, of what we did after a couple tries was position it behind a uh, log so they could be behind the log and light it. That was my my big way that I figured out how to do that. And then somebody appeared from the fog in a cut because we actually had uh VHS editing machines at school that we could use.
1: Really? I remember editing shit in camera mm-hmm. where you just hit pause on the camera as soon as the one shot's done, and then you record your next take. <laughs> if that works for for school projects and stuff for a history class and
0: <laughs> Oh God, we did a and this is weird. Um it I'm wondering if it was because of watching Nighthouse yesterday. Uh and we're gonna get kind of kind of modeling for a second. Uh, Last night, actually, I had a dream uh, about my friend Mark, who took his own life a few years ago, and it was the first dream I've had about him since then. So I woke up in a real nice mood because I felt like he came to visit me last night. Um, but that puts to top of mind uh, that Mark and I did fake variety shows when we were kids uh, on my parents' uh, big camcorder. And we would do magic acts where the whole act was like you drop something and then you cut and then it, you know, like it never splashes in the bowl, that kind of thing. Um, you throw the, you throw the fake bird and then it turned into a real bird outside. All kinds of, all kinds of stupid shit like Isn't it crazy like that, that
1: David, Copper, David Copperfield made millions of dollars uh-huh. doing that exact same shit? Yes. There's a TV magic. I remember there was one where it's like, I'm going to make this tank disappear. And then they literally put a handkerchief over the lens of the camera mm-hmm. and then just like slid that set out, slid a new set in. There's no more tank and then took the handkerchief off the camera. I was like, ta-da! <laughs> like, this is not magic. This is, you can't use editing to do magic. They're like, magic is sleight of hand. It's not this. This is just
0: yeah. bullshit. But he learned all that from, from being on Terror Train and they got to, he got to fake all of his tricks on there, too.
1: However, there is one great thing that that guy does with like a live goose, which I'm not crazy about using live animals for your own entertainment purposes. But outside of that, it's like he does like this whole like goose swap and then it turns into like a stuffed animal goose out of a hat or whatever. And he mm-hmm. does it real quick. And then he does the same thing in slow motion. And I think um, Chariots of Fire okay. place, And then he, he's doing everything in slow motion. But the sleight of hand is still so good that even in slow motion, you yes. can't pick up the the switch. Um, I love. I I do enjoy good magic, like sleight of hand, shit like that, where someone just makes quarters disappear. I know it's dumb, but goddamn, if I'm not impressed.
2: Uh, did you have you ever seen a magic
0: show, a big magic show? Never. When I was in middle school. Um, my mother came to pick me up from early from school one day and they had surprised me uh, with tickets to go see David Copperfield. And we saw, we went, I don't remember where the theater was. Maybe it was Fort Wayne or Indianapolis. We went to, um, but we had like cheap seats way up in the balcony. And the thing was from that angle, you could actually see David's double run in, like on this catwalk over top, uh, for one of the stunts where he like drives down on a motorcycle or something. Uh, and it was like kind of, it kind of ruined it and also kind of made it better.
2: Yeah. I, I could totally see that. Yeah. It's how I feel
1: about movies sometimes. It's like if, if you learn too much about movie production, do you lose the magic? Uh, you know what definitely lost the magic for me it was like any kind of press kit, EPK, <laughs> behind the scenes talking heads interviews. Yes. After doing that after doing that internship of logging those interviews to text file and then seeing them get edited, it's like I saw how the sausage is made mm-hmm. and I have no time for that shit now. Like I I can't unsee what I saw.
2: It's <laughs> so boring.
1: I there's there's one producer. Oh, who the fuck? He was a producer. Keep talking. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to track this man
0: down. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about because I am unfortunately part of that machine <laughs> right now, except for, for country music. But it's very much the same of like, we might have a wide ranging conversation, but the actual interview that gets printed uh, or aired is going to be only the good stuff. It's everybody glowing review of everybody else.
2: God,
1: I, I want to trash Brian Grazer, but I don't think it was Brian Grazer. It was a producer on, I think it was Cowboys and Aliens or something else. It might have been a Marvel thing around that time. Producer would not shut the fuck up. Interviews with like Daniel Craig and Olivia Wilde mm-hmm. were like 20 minutes long, succinct answers in and out. This producer, it was like a 50-minute long interview, and the guy would be asked the most simple question, and he would just rattle on for like four minutes, just, and you could just tell, it's like, there's gotta be a soundbite in here somewhere. If I just keep talking, yes. they have to use something that I say. And so the fucking dick just would stop talking. I was losing my mind blocking this. The... Also that was where uh sorry, uh Harrison Ford and John Favreau did a sit down interview for the behind the scenes mm-hmm. and Harrison Ford was wearing red socks under his pants and dress shoes, and they showed because he was sitting cross legged and so it could see his socks. And someone at Disney or whatever was like, Uh, his red socks are distracting. Change them to blue. And so I just hung out and shadowed an editor as the guy went like frame by frame doing a red to blue replacement on Harrison Ford's socks for a behind the scenes interview. <sighs> that was when I was just like I, I just wanted to smash
2: smash Disney.
0: <laughs> That's I really don't know if I could put up with that level of I mean, I guess at some point like I've I've dealt with it indirectly. I've been like the fourth guy down the, down the the, the chain. When you get those kind of things of like, well, this isn't going to work. And it's for some stupid reason. I did have to rotoscope out all of the uh, logos from a promo piece that I did when the guy lost his uh, deal or they were trying to negotiate a better deal with um, Red Bull or somebody. He was wearing the clothing. Uh, It was a cup that he was holding and gesturing with.
1: Oh no, so it
0: was moving around (laughs) the whole time. And we were like riding in a golf cart and he's drinking. And so it's like (laughs) shaking and stuff. And I had to turn it into like a black cup. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because they didn't want it to look like it was just blurred out either.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's like uh, uh, recently watching The Office and I listened
1: to that The Office Ladies podcast because I. Built full time mm-hmm. and they talk about wearing like they all had to wear generic baseball caps mm-hmm. so that there's no logos or anything but everyone looks so dumb because it's like they went with generic caps but they also went with ones where it's like they look like they're five dollars a piece so everyone's wearing these like ill-fitting plain color baseball caps uh-huh. and it's like nowhere in the world do you walk around and see people wearing these items of clothing <laughs>
0: Speaking of baseball caps, the woman in broadcast signal intrusion who comes in about halfway is wearing a ball cap. And I, it's such a weird decision for a movie character to have a ball cap on the whole time. As you're trying to see her face, like you can just see these massive shadows across it, like in almost every scene. It's ridiculous.
1: Did you see that there's one intrusion where it like, hard cuts two colors and it looks like oh. it's just a real zoom in shot of the logo on her baseball cap mm-hmm. um, when he goes to that group yes all right she offers him a cigarette why did I never have a cigarette case when I smoked cigarettes what a fool I was uh. it just looks cool cigarette smokers have great accessories but cigarette smoking now it uh, grosses me
2: out thought of it.
0: So, would this have been a practical case or simply for the aesthetic value?
2: Just aesthetic value because
1: the cardboard box does a great job of protecting your cigarettes. Like rarely are your cigarettes smashed to the point of unsmokability. But just outside a bar or whatever, I don't know. It's probably I'd probably look like a real douchebag <laughs> outside a bar pulling out my little metal cigarette case and then my Cruella de black plastic extender and
0: <laughs> um the this is where we first see the tattoo on his wrist with 112296 uh which is a nice way of putting uh, that that's an important date and also talking about the fact that he's got a missing wife we get all these hints that it's happened and when it's happened before we get an actual like exposition that it did happen that he lost his wife on that date for some reason.
1: Um, my cousin got forgiven tattooed on his wrist because he thought 9 11 was the beginning of the rapture.
2: Wow. And he's since had it lasered off.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh,
1: there's some serious Christians in my family, man. I used to be one of
0: them. Wow. <laughs> So he was ready for the the left behind situation.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't know what the fuck he's thinking, man. I don't <laughs> like, I see my cousins like once a year maybe. That's, yeah. I don't know. I only have two cousins, so you would think I'd be closer with them when yeah. people talk about like family reunion with 50 or 60 cousins. I have two, and <laughs> I barely know either of them.
0: Oh, I have like a dozen or something and I don't talk to any of them. I don't know any of them. Uh, I
1: see them, like, for Thanksgiving or Christmas and, every, you know, every once in a blue moon. We always get along fine. They both married very nice women and have kids now and stuff, so they're both good dudes. Get along with them fine.
0: No, it's been, like, 20 years uh, since I've seen any of them, I think. I have I have one cousin that I've seen a few times since then, but it's probably been a dozen years since I've seen him. Uh, I don't think I'm friends with any of them on Facebook anymore. Um I'm pretty sure one was in jail uh, on weapons charges. And then after that happened, there was some other unsavory things that came to light and he wound up staying in jail for a while longer. So yikes. Yeah. Not good. No, it's Ickis. It's close. Uh,
1: Can you hear me roll my eyes? Listeners. (laughs) Uh,
0: What's the next scene? I want, Let's get to some intrusions. I wanted to mention the fact that uh, the tape he is watching it talks about Chicago, and the Chicago Cubs get a shout out, but the White Sox do not <laughs> because fuck the White Sox. <laughs> I love that. Really? Why? What's the deal with the Cubs versus White Sox?
1: Wait, who chooses which team? Oh, it's north. Is there, a, is there like a line in the city?
2: Yeah, it's North Side versus South Side. Which one is which?
0: I the Cubs are
2: the North Side. So, it but so north side that's like the yuppity side.
0: Ooh, um, I don't know about that. It's all city, it is. Uh, I do believe Cabrini Green would be on the south side,
1: yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just the like, south side, Chicago is, yeah, is that phrase that you hear.
0: The, the Gold Coast would be the north, uh, so it's just and wgn was the cubs station when i was growing up that's what my grandpa would watch like that's what i was indoctrinated into which ironically people tried to indoctrinate me into notre dame it totally backfired the cubs on the other hand totally worked
1: can i just say shame on you for what you did to steve bartman (laughs) Shame <laughs> on you. That poor man did not deserve that. No, he didn't. <laughs> he did not. That guy's life was, like, permanently fucked because of that.
0: That is uh, that is a great documentary, though.
1: It was. That, yeah. It was it a 30 for 30? Yep. Yeah. If, listeners, if you want, like, a wild story about sports and how just being a fan in a stadium can ruin your life, check out the Steve Bartman story in the 30 for 30 documentary. Crazy! It's called... Shame on Chicago. Yeah, shame on them.
0: It's called catching and... hell, I believe.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Thirty for thirties, man. They they really knocked about the park a few times. Yeah. There's. Hey, look at that baseball. No,
0: nah, nicely done. Um, thank you. And this is when we get our first broadcast signal intrusion.
2: Now, Sean, do
0: you know about this phenomena?
2: We. I
1: believe we talked about Max Headroom with Andrew on the Candyman episode, maybe? I think we've talked about Max Headroom at some point because I talked about how if I was watching TV in the evening and suddenly that came on my TV of this gigantic headed thing with the camera swiveling back and forth Mm -hmm. and it's like sane, garbled, fucked up thing, that would have scared the ever-living
2: shit out of me that's
0: uh it would be like most of them apparently are pretty boring like um and they reference some of the other ones in here in the movie um
1: yeah i wasn't sure if these were because they don't i don't know if they ever mentioned max headroom specifically They talk about some old sci-fi TV shows, but I wasn't sure if they made those up or if those actually existed.
0: Okay, so here's what I figured out. Max Headroom, in real world, becomes Sally Sparks, uh, and there were two known intrusions, and uh, in the movie, they happen at WCN instead of WGN, and uh, another smaller uh, uh, television station, and then they reference the Captain Midnight intrusion which is the one in Florida and you see footage of that which is just text superimposed over a uh, a test signal and that is dead on but in the movie it's like Mr. Nighttime or something instead of Captain Midnight so they pull uh, these things the, like what, pretty yeah, what way. is it
1: The night, the night pirate I can't remember yeah maybe the night is, pirate the, the night pirate is the tape that they talk about in this movie
0: yeah so
2: Uh,
1: so the first one, so it goes from the political debate when it cuts to the mask, and the mask is super like unsettling and weird. But the fact that in this one you see the glimmer of somebody's eyeballs Mm -hmm. moving around under the mask, super unsettling.
0: Yeah, uh, it's a great. What the fuck is happening? Like, yeah. And if you actually watch the Max Headroom incidents, they're more goofy, uh, than. This, but from your memory or from hearing a story, this is what you would picture is something this level of unsettling, I think.
1: The mask just has these like eyes that are like black voids, like a polar bear in the Arctic (laughs) winters. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) (sighs) So, as I realized that this movie was just going to be like what if we just made like a horror movie out of Max Headroom? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is really, this is a great idea. Yeah. Great idea for a movie.
0: Um, oh, and, uh, in the movie, the second intrusion happens during an episode of Don Cronos. When in reality, the second intrusion happened during an episode of Dr. Who. So,
1: oh, Don Cron- uh, that Yeah. All right. Yeah. I
0: got gotcha. you. Very clever guys. We get it.
1: <laughs> uh, the Don Cronos show. Was wonderfully terribly acted. Yes. When they showed that clip, it looked like the perfect like bad seventies TV show.
0: Yep. Would you uh like that's the kind of stuff that I would watch late night to go to sleep to probably.
1: See, I and that's probably where you have more of an affinity for oddball weird shit like that because I mm-hmm. just. I never watched stuff like that and rarely watched like low budget seventies stuff with really slow pacing. Okay. So that just I've I just never attached myself as like to like the early eighties super low budget stuff. I just struggle with a lot of yeah movies like that.
0: Um this doesn't really fit into that category because I think it's got a lot more going on, but for a long time I lumped it into that group. Uh, is Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Have you seen that?
1: I have not. I don't know if I've heard of that one.
0: Ooh, okay. That's a slow burn that I think is totally worth it and is actually really well done. Um, But I always, when I was kind of in my um, uh, high and mighty phase, it was one that I looked down on until I actually watched it. And I was like, oh shit, this is like really well done movie, very good filmmaking, great acting, and creepy as hell.
2: I like that title. It's a great title. Yes. It's fun. Um,
0: So, James makes a copy of the broadcast signal intrusion and takes it home to study it. Um, And this is where I've seen people talk about this as like the low-budget Zodiac because uh, there's a lot of looking at screens and at pieces of paper and stuff. And like studying. I've
1: yet yet to see Zodiac.
0: (sighs) Oh, Sean, you're killing me. You're literally killing me.
1: I like Fincher and I used to be into serial killer stuff, so I don't know how I haven't seen it. Yeah. Just never happened. I think the runtime always scared me. Mm -hmm. And it's not even that long, right? So, like two and a half?
0: Yeah, I think so. Maybe That's not even that bad. Um, Yeah. But, uh, that's that's one I saw in the theater a couple times. <laughs> I'm a sucker for that movie, man.
2: I know, I, I I think we
1: might mention, but I, I I'm a real Gone Girl fan, though.
0: Okay,
2: I do that's kind of the, the the later venture that I really like. I oh, wonder yeah. how Seven. I think Seven would hold up for me. I think Freeman and Pitt go well back and forth off each other.
0: Um, did you ever? Uh, watch the Every Frame a Painting uh, video series?
2: Yeah, uh, a, fu- a few of them.
0: Okay. Yeah, there's a great one about Fincher in there uh, that centers on... I heard that guy's so, on Netflix now? He did one episode of uh, v- Voir, uh which is a series of video essays produced by David Fincher, actually. Um, so yeah, that was Tony Zhao. Actually, he might have done a couple of them. Um, but there's, I think four or five episodes and they're all kind of done by different creators. Um, I think Drew McQueenie did one, um, and what's his name? Walter Chaw, uh, did a great one about 48 hours, uh, and Eddie Murphy and the racism, uh, in that movie and the racism that they're upsetting within the movie. And that one is fantastic. That's probably my favorite of the, that series.
2: I have never seen 48 Hours and know nothing about it.
1: Okay. But mm-hmm. I've seen Beverly Hills Cop 3 many times.
2: <laughs> Which is the one at the amusement park. I, that's what I remember it, about it. We talked about it with Andrew. Yep, yep. Um, My next
1: note is, the woman across the street does a Captain Ron and vanishes behind a passing bus. Mm-hmm. Uh there's a great bit in community with Billy Zane where Billy Zane keeps disappearing when a character looks away and then looks back and he's gone but then it shows that he's just hiding like behind a pillar or like
0: crouching behind a bush yeah. <laughs> and he keeps getting spotted. <laughs> That's one of those gags that always gets me uh like when it when they pull it off it makes me happy and when they do it stupidly it makes me even happier.
1: <laughs> this one, it makes no sense here that this woman has disappearing abilities but I yes. like it nonetheless Um, did you find it awkward when that woman I thought she was the group leader I don't know if she's the leader or not but she asks him out on a date mm-hmm. and I don't know it seems like a weird place to get a date at a place for grieving people I, I don't know what what did you think of her asking him out
0: I think that she doesn't go a lot of other places, uh, and she is l- she is clearly looking for um, some comfort, probably of the physical variety, because she goes from "Hey, do you want to go to this cookout with me?" to "Would you want to run a tape from Blockbuster and come over?" <laughs> and he's like, "No, That's a good no, call. I can't." So That's I, a good I think call. she just needs something.
2: Uh, I I just I found it very awkward. I mean, I think that's part of the point, though. All
0: throughout here, he is looking for the tape that would have um, another interruption on it, uh, because he's found the first one. The second one got seized by the FCC, um, and that was the one during the Don Chronos, uh, and. Eve.
1: I like this doctor. He goes to find, or whoever this this guy is that has the the lead to the next tape. The oh. guy who tells him to uh, never att- never attribute conspiracy to that which is more appropriately labeled coincidence. Yes, I I liked this character and this guy's performance.
0: Yes, that's uh, this is well. I don't know the actor's name, but it's Stuart Lithgow. Uh, which this movie. Here's another branch that I don't know that you've seen a whole lot of, of things like The Conversation or uh, Blowout or the Parallax View, things like that. Have you, Three Days of the Condor, uh, have you seen any of those?
1: Okay. No. Some of those ring familiar. The Conversation and Three Days of the Condor sound familiar, but no.
0: Okay. That is um, one of my favorite, like, kind of subgenres is the the 70s paranoid thriller. Uh and John Lithgow is you know, was in um De Palma's version of those in the eighties, uh, that he kind of continued on that same thread with Blowout. Uh and was he in Dress to Kill? Is that correct? Um which kind of continued that that same lineage up into this movie, which I have to assume that naming this guy Lithgow is is a reference there?
2: I've seen Dress to Kill*, the the Nicole Kidman one. No, no, the Brian. I have De, not seen
1: the Brian De Palma one. I have not seen the Brian De Palma one. So, uh, you said Lithgow in and movies. And I'm like, I, I, I feel like I've seen Lithgow in very few movies. Yeah, he's more of a TV guy for me.
0: Uh, because of Third Rock*.
1: That and *Dexter*, I guess. And oh yeah. I don't know whatever whatever other performances or I mean appearances he's had.
0: Not as uh the the dad from um
2: Footloose? Never seen it. Uh I did just listen to the Scott hasn't seen episode about it, though.
0: <laughs> well, Sean also has not seen, so <laughs> uh or um as the the grandfatherly neighbor in the remake of Pet Cemetery,
2: sometimes dead is better, friend.
0: A man's heart is stony ground, Louis. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So I, I assume that it, it, this Stortlith guy was a, is a reference to those De Palma films. Um. He also tells him that there was another intrusion that supposedly happened on eleven twenty three ninety six, the day after James's wife went missing.
1: And it seems like there's a couple of women who have gone missing day after the intrusions, day or before. the day before intrusions. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, he's he's been shirking his work throughout <laughs> this time. As and I like that he gets threatened via post it note. And then fired by Haiku. Yes. That was a funny joke.
0: Uh, yeah, he's spending too much time researching. Uh, and this, the night of his first, I guess it's his second offense, but we don't see the first one. We, we get the second strike. Uh, he finds, he slows down the broadcast or speeds it up or something. And hears that uh, some of the weird noises are actually someone saying, I fixed them, I fixed them all. Um. Oh, I wanted to mention the this station or archive that he's working in. Have you ever been in a place like that with those big shelves, the big sliding shelves?
1: Uh, Yeah, there was an archive room at the place that I logged that had okay. tons of books. And then at the time, they had those silver external hard drives that were wrapped in orange rubber around the edges that seemed to be very prolific and they just had like mountains of external hard drives as well.
0: Oh, I've got three attached to my computer right now. I was going to hold one up, but they're all attached. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say, that's the only time I've been in a room like that was at a production house that had, um, in it. It's one thing for the tapes. Cause the tapes are pretty bulky. So if you've got tapes and logbooks like that takes up a lot of space, but when it's hard drives, that is a shit ton of footage that
2: you are storing back yeah. there. Oh yeah, each hard drive, couple hundred tapes, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's like, what do we?
1: Can we? Are we hoarders? Are we just hoarding all of this video? I, can we not
2: throw anything away ever, or delete it?
0: The uh, the weird thing is, I've had people come back like five years later and say, hey, do you remember that thing we shot? Or if you work with the same client repeatedly, they're like, oh, we don't have to do this. We shot it, we shot it four years ago. Like,
2: oh, really? Yes. Oh, yikes. Yes, which is... Yikes. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't want to do that. Uh,
1: so that one scholar, he finds a chat room, and then the chat room leads him to the antique
2: shop, right?
0: Um, Is that what it was? archive like this. Oh, uh, let's see. He's got a conspiracy wall. There's repeated shots of him leaving work that become more and more uh, disjointed. Um, yes, someone... Oh! The the Neo thing happens where someone takes over his module and starts writing to him directly through his computer. Uh, Which he's
1: not freaked out about.
0: No, he's just kind of like, "Huh, that's interesting
1: He's reacting to it how Beth reacts to a bloody footed ghost on her dock. just, eh, that's maybe he'll give it a hug uh, and this <laughs> so he goes there's some rockin seventies like psychedelic rock this next sequence when he goes to the shop and when he first enters the the antique shop mm hmm badass score right here uh. Um... And so as he's meeting this guy and this guy seems to be some kind of like seedy underbelly where he sees some other guy walking in talking about someone being 16. And I, 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 there's something icky going on here. Um, this reminded me of other rabbit hole movies like the Masters of Horror episodes, Cigarette Burns, mm-hmm. 8mm, um, you know, Hardcore. There, there's... Tons of movies about, like, a, a protagonist getting sucked into the, se- the seedy underbelly yes. of a, a new world.
0: Um, it made me think of the Johnny, is it Johnny Depp, The Ninth Gate? Uh, you know, someone was just
1: talking about Ninth Gate on Discord, and I forgot that movie even existed. <laughs> I never saw it, but like yeah. I remember it being advertised or something back when I was a kid.
0: Yeah. I remember watching it like 20 years ago, but it's kind of stuck with me as having that same, like, he he goes searching for a rare book and finds the
2: devil, I think.
0: As you do. Um. One thing I noticed is the logo on the front of this antique shop uh, and on the card that he gets is almost the same as the logo printed on the front of the book that Beth finds. And I'm wondering if, I mean, these two guys are friends, the directors. Like, are they referencing each other, or is this like something in their larger world uh, that they're making I did reference not pick to? Pick
2: up on that. Yeah, I these
1: these feel like sister movies.
2: Yeah, it's weird.
1: Yeah. Um. So the guy gives him a package and tells him he needs to go deliver a package, and. Uh, so, so like, you're best off not knowing what's inside. Which, if you've watched Transporter, it's like the number one rule of being a transporter is I don't want to know what's in the package.
0: Yes. And uh, if he delivers the package, this weird shady guy will give him the FBI file about the signal intrusions, about the, like their case file.
1: So when he meets this sketchy dude underneath the train tracks or whatever, he hands him the package and... There's a note that says, what does it say? This is the man you're looking for? Yes. That, if I handed someone a package and then they showed me a note that says, this is the man you're looking for. Uh-huh. I'm immediately thinking I'm going to be murdered. Yeah, I'd be like, I'm like getting there, the there's, fuck there's, out here. There's a gun. There's a gun inside this package with a note to this guy. Like, this is the guy you want to kill.
0: Yep. It's so good. Like, the, and this is where I like uh, Harry Shrum's performance because one of the only times that you see him kind of like knocked back is this, he's like very startled and it looks like he's going to run and he doesn't quite know what to do. And I just, I think this little scene between these two dudes and the guy playing um, the crazy guy is, I think he's excellent. That type of acting cannot be easy to do. Like
1: Uh yeah, I, I don't know which I don't know what his character name is, but whoever you are, dude, you have some good crazy eyes and uh yeah, I, I liked his performance a lot. I like a lot of the side performances in mm-hmm. this one. In both movies actually, I think there's a
2: really solid supporting cast. Oh, it's uh Michael Woods um is the actor's name. Uh and he hasn't done a whole lot. Although he was in Utopia, which my daughter told me to watch.
1: Uh so after this we're gonna be introduced now to
2: our side pro- protagonist Alice, played by Kelly Mack, right? Mm-hmm. Um how how do they hook
1: up again? I don't I don't remember the specifics. It's at it's inside the bar, she follows him in there.
0: Yeah, so she's been and, following him and makes him, him drink
1: for information.
0: Yeah, he he ducks into the bar to get away from her and she follows him in. Uh and then they just sit That's and right. drink together.
2: That's right. Which uh if, if I I'm taking January off drinking, uh which has been great.
1: But if I did three shots back to back to back, mm-hmm. I would be knocked on my ass. Did you do shots when you drank? Oh yeah. Uh, see, I've never shots like only led to problems and bad times. <laughs> so like, I just I've been like a ninety nine percent beer drinker most okay. of my drinking career because shots just lead to like puking or massive hangovers or embarrassing just nothing good comes from shots in my life
0: so my regular at a bar would be to order uh, a whiskey and a beer so like a shot of whiskey or rye uh if they had it uh, and then you drink it with your beer and it's
1: i drink strong beers like yeah like high alcohol beers i think that's that's the workaround that my
2: my brain and liver decided to agree upon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but just watching
1: somebody slam back to back shots make me feel slightly nauseous.
0: That's exactly like I could feel the the, the heaviness of it. Like oh, uh, and that third one, I'm like, oh god, that's rough. I know. And he ordered he ordered
1: the third one. I'm like, dude, you don't you don't need it. Yep. You're good, man. You're good.
0: And they apparently drink for a while. Like, the both of these movies do a trick where uh, it's a camera technique where either information is exchanged or time passes and you jump to the other side of the conversation. You break the 180-degree line and you're on the other side of the, of the actors all of a sudden. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that they both kind of did the same thing but here it seems like a decent amount of time has passed because they're both pretty drunk.
2: Him definitely more so than her. Oh, yeah. She helps them home, and uh, so they wake up, and she's checking out the tapes and points out that it's Morse code for a phone number. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, after this, somebody bangs on the door, and I wonder if they bang in Morse code. Oh, wow. Because there's like a knock, 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 knock. It probably spells like spuh.
0: The. Oh, I think it's interesting that he keeps like making deals with people. Like. He offers the guy money for the FBI file, but the guy says, no, you'll do this job for me. And the. uh the guy who gives him the Don Kronos tape with the second intrusion on it uh, wants his camera instead of money. And this woman will work for him for a place to stay. Like, And he's always kind of coming out on the bottom of these things. He's always getting taken advantage of, it seems like. The person knocking on the door hands him a phone uh, because James has destroyed his own phone because somebody might be listening in on it. Uh, and so it's his neighbor with a cordless phone. I loved all the cordless phones in this movie. Also, very late nineties, early two thousands. Um, and oh,
1: God, when is when's the last time you got wrapped up in a phone cord? God, it, it, you it pick up a house phone, and it's just that like tangled knot of yeah. ribbon cable that makes a three foot cord now eight inches long.
0: Uh, it that seriously had to be like. 1999, 98 would have been the last time.
1: I remember when my mom got the the handset for the house phone. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal. Like, oh, you can just like carry this shit anywhere you want.
0: Yeah. We had. Uh, I used to, in my life, this podcast, especially the length of it, has has precedence. Uh, I used to sit in our office in the house that we had growing up. And I would actually lay underneath the desk talking on the phone to my friends, like like it was a little hobbit hole down there. And I would just sit down there for hours talking to my friends or my girlfriend or whoever.
1: In third grade, when my friends and I discovered conference calls, oh, I remember God. it'd just be like on a conference call. And then you'd have to remember, because the way the conference call works is like, if you were the source caller you couldn't hang up because then you would kill the tree. Mm-hmm. So you, it, you'd you have to like work out ways to drop people on and off the call. And say, oh, <laughs> oh it was fun. It was uh, fun. Good did times. you
0: ever do the, the super primitive version of Twitch streaming?
1: Uh, no, I mean, my friends and I played Starcraft and would talk on the phone. Yes. To the point where I got one of those secretary headsets.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I did the same thing, but it was with, um, uh Star Wars X Wing. Oh yeah yeah. Yeah. We actually we had a flight yoke. Uh so yeah. you know, in addition to a regular controller with the foot pedals and everything. That was a
2: blast. Such a good I game. Was, I was gonna make some kind of joystick egg white only joke,
1: but there was nothing there.
2: Joystick egg white only. Cause you said we had a, a yoke.
0: Got it. Oh. I thought you were about to joystick the website, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> uh so the turns out that the person calling him was apparently the guy who he delivered the package to, who is down in the alley behind his uh like weird loft that he lives in. And he goes down and confronts him. And I was going to ask, what did you think about like the, the technique that they use for this scene?
1: Uh, it's a very impressive throat slashing. Uh Uh-huh. It's a good one.
2: The, the, what's the pinnacle throat slash for me? Maybe there's a real gnarly one
1: in high tension. where Somebody's throat gets slashed and then they exhale and it's like, air coming out of the windpipe, that's fucked up. That's usually, like, the high water mark for me. This is a good one. Um, this also reminded me of a recent movie that I saw, and I'm completely fucking blanking on it now. Hey, everyone! We're gonna talk a little spoilies about a movie called Caché from years ago, so fast
2: forward a little bit if you don't want to hear them.
0: Um... For me, it'd have to be cache. Have you ever seen that?
2: Yeah. I'm
1: going to add a spoiler. Hey, everyone. Uh, We're going to spoil. Oh, shit. But if you say now the title, the movie title, then you spoil. (laughs) We're fucked. There's no no way to do
2: this. We're too deep now. You can't fix it. I'll send
1: it way back at the beginning. Excellent. There you go. Yeah, that's a gnarly one.
2: Yeah. That one has uh, and to that with one, all
1: that one caught me way more off guard than this. But that
2: that off guard impulse, uh, it's fucked up, man. Yeah. What did you think?
0: Um, I love the way that the they drop the audio out of the argument beforehand, like when James is kind of trying to talk him down, and mm. then you kind of go to Alice's point of view. As she's coming down the stairs, and it's like the only time in the movie that they really do this. It's cool. I love that they do some different techniques. They do split screen at one point. Um, There's a a split diopter shot at a different point. I was
1: going to ask you, we saw one of those shots um, last episode or the one before, but I never got a physical explanation for you. How do you have two different focuses in one shot? And I also like that she's in the foreground, and then she walks out of the foreground, out of the shot. So now James is on the left side with the background and him in focus. And mm-hmm. then the right side, the same background that's at the same level as him, is out of focus now because she's not there.
0: Yes. They use they use it twice. There's uh, at the hotel when she's on the phone and he doesn't know what she's doing. Um, she's in the extreme foreground, and then he is like... 50 feet away or something and they're both in focus and so then is it a lens apparatus what it is it's a um, picture your normal like a round lens filter a screw mm-hmm. a on lens filter except for it's only half it's like an additional lens so it's they're normally pretty thick but it's only half of it um, or some portion and you twist and turn it to uh, cover up the half of the screen that you want closer
1: I see. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's almost always like at the fifty percent mark of the frame. Yes. Because it's a half a lens. Yep. Got it. That's interesting.
0: Uh and we used one in the reenactment simply because we wanted to. <laughs> so yeah. uh we have Andrew and I have a very long text thread where we send each other when we when we see split diopter shots in movies, <laughs> we send each other a screen grab of it
2: now. Oh funny. So you sent this one? Yes. Nice. Uh, Alice, or, oh, we get another intrusion after this scene.
0: Uh, let's see, James...
1: Or some sometime after this, we get a, another intrusion
0: video. Well, he's he's having dreams about it.
1: Because there's one where a knife gets plunged into the eye socket of the rubber doll, or, like, underneath the eye socket, mm-hmm. and I that was... Super disturbing.
0: I think that's one of his dreams. Because it,
1: it, I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I don't know. Just it could like be. just like the last movie, it becomes very cyclical with him sleeping and waking up and getting knocked out and waking up and him watching things on TV and you're never quite sure if they're real, especially towards the end. You uh,
1: know. And at the end, he's just drinking like straight out of a whiskey bottle. And it's yeah. like, oh, bud, you're not you're not cut out for drinking like that, man.
0: Uh, they, so the phone number that they deciphered from the video, they tracked down to a storage unit in Peoria. Uh, and I, I like that. Like they, they convinced the guy to open up this storage unit and it's just got a little table with a phone and the answering machine sitting there perfectly.
1: That's adorable. Yeah. It's like a little stool for the phone. And they're, yeah. <laughs> the way that they're placed, they're like so center of the room and everything. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. It's like you have- and I like the idea, like, this guy has been working there for 10 years, and every once in a while, he walks by and just hears a phone ringing inside <laughs> the one abandoned storage unit. Yes. <laughs> like, how'd they run a phone line in there? We don't have phone service to our storage units.
0: Yeah, and where'd they get the power for their answering machine? Because a lot of storage units don't have any kind of, of power in them.
1: I if, I don't know. I don't think we need to worry about those things.
0: No. Uh, but that leads them to, the billing on the storage unit leads them to a P.O. box in Joliet, and this is where it's very much like a noir, where it's just it, following down the series of clues.
1: And they hit the road at this point, right?
0: Oh, uh, They did before, uh, because oh, c- they so, were... Because
1: Alice talks about when she was a kid, recording a show in a little boombox and putting it in the bushes and People would walk by, but nobody ever listened. Uh huh. And I was just like, mm, is that our podcast? <laughs> is this <laughs> just a boombox in the bushes <laughs> that I was listening to?
0: <laughs> oh, God. Did you ever record fake radio shows?
1: Um, no, my friend, I remember like writing some stuff as a kid with my friend, and but no, I never recorded a fake radio
0: show. That's, I, I definitely did. <laughs> it was very yeah. much like, uh, and having a boombox in the background so like with a tape queued up so that you could play a song yeah
2: it sounds really fun it was basically what we're doing now pretty much yeah um
1: when she, when they're driving i really don't like that she has her feet on the dashboard <laughs> or when they're parked but i am grateful that she's wearing socks
0: <laughs> literally like 3 days ago elizabeth and i were out someplace and uh, we're driving behind this uh, car that's lower than us, so we can see directly to the dashboard. And this woman has her bare ass feet sitting on the dashboard. And I'm like, it's my pet peeve. It's one of my pet peeves is people putting their feet on the dashboard. It disturbs me my so much. My
1: mom did it as she was teaching him to drive. Oh He'd God! Be driving around 15 year old, she'd have her feet. I'm like, you do you know what will happen when your 15 year old rear ends someone and your airbag goes off?
0: Yeah, your shin bone is going to go through your face. <laughs> yeah. And this is where they find Stephen Meyer. Stephen Meyer. Here, This is Chris Sullivan, who I love. And it turns out that it's on, I guess there's three performances of his. Uh, the Drop. Oh, he's in Guardians uh, of the Galaxy Part 2 as Taserface, face, which is pretty good. Um I don't really remember part two very well. Uh but he was in Stranger Things. He's only in two episodes, but that's where I first like recognized him. Um he's in the Yeah, is he
1: was he the chef, the, the cook yes. at the
0: restaurant? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so he's
1: like in the first two episodes, yep. I think. Uh
0: yeah. and then he's in the Nick and he's a recurring character in the Nick. And his storyline is one of my favorites in that whole show.
2: I always, that's the Caitlin Olson show. I'm sorry, what? The Mick? The Nick. Oh, I, I, I heard an <laughs> M. Mick. <laughs>
0: no. What's the Nick? The Nick. And this is not going to surprise you in the slightest. It's the Steven Soderbergh produced and directed uh, television show starring Clive Owen uh, about doctors at the turn of the century.
2: Clive Warren's in a TV show. Clive Owen.
1: <laughs> it's a it's a Pilkington reference. Oh, Don't okay. worry about it. Okay.
2: <laughs> so what I thought I just started off by saying like actors' names and that who I thought should be in it because then that's giving more. It's building, right? Who's Who did you say? So I said, right. I'm seeing uh, Clive Warren. <laughs> <laughs> that's Clive Warren. Who's Clive Warren? The one who was in Closer. Clive Owen. Clive Owen. Right. All right. Did they look at you like you're a fucking idiot? (laughs) So
1: they all started trying to figure out who's this Clive Warren we've not heard about. uh, He he must be amazing. He's on Clive
2: Warren. Get me Clive Warren on the
1: phone. (laughs) (laughs) Get
3: me Clive Warren. And I said uh, Rebecca De Mornay. Right. (laughs) What?
2: He hasn't been in a film uh, for 15 years, a Clive Warren and Rebecca De <laughs> They
0: thought he was a yeah. genius. They'd never thought of putting Clive Warren with Rebecca De Mornay. But hang on a minute, you could have,
3: you could have <laughs> oh, any God. film star. This is your fantasy <laughs> casting,
0: <laughs> yeah. and you choose
3: a bloke that doesn't exist and a woman who hasn't been on TV or in a film for 10 years. Um,
1: so, yeah, Steven Meyer uh, talks about a bunch of rich kids getting him to talk to him about broadcast signal intrusion and how it's like his first time that he ever was was somebody i like his performance a lot i also like that he's half intimidating and half i don't know seemingly docile but by the end of this scene when they're trying to leave his house it truly feels threatening Mm -hmm. like this guy is going to murder them in his basement right now
0: so if you do see zodiac there is a direct scene that this feels like in zodiac
1: I know yeah, I I know base that reference of Zodiac of like it weird to have a basement in California or yes. some, something like that, which is very true. We there's not really basements in California.
0: Um but the uh, this performance, i I feel like this scene was written to have uh a a minor star like Chris Sullivan in, because it's basically two scenes. You're standing outside of a truck, and then you're sitting on a couch, and you get a cool monologue. Like it's great. They were basically yeah. like, "You can come in for one day of shooting, and we will shoot you out, and you get a one of these like Harry Lime kind of performances where you come in and you say some cool shit, <laughs> and then G- you the intimidate somebody and get
2: out." Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, the fact that he showed the Night Pirate tape to a bunch of fourteen year olds, like. That's insane. Yes. Showing kids this personal, this rubber doll face getting stabbed in the eye or whatever like showing that to kids or not the stabby but still this yeah. would fuck kids up.
0: The well the Night Pirate was just the the one about the uh that's text over the, Oh okay. Yes. The um because the one it was based on was the the Captain Midnight out of Florida. And the guy was a satellite technician who was actually uh, uh, revolting against HBO raising their price to like twelve ninety nine. Which, when I had like terrestrial HBO, wasn't that shit like fifty bucks or something?
1: I I don't remember because for me it's like by the time I was ready to order HBO for myself, it was usually like a ten dollar
2: per month add-on channel okay. kind of thing. Okay. Um, <clears throat> uh. But this is where
0: he gets real creepy. Steven does. And James, like, is asking for more information. He doesn't believe him. He doesn't think that's the whole story. Alice is freaked out because there's sounds coming from upstairs. And the whole thing just gets sketchier and sketchier. And I really appreciate how like the same space that they're in goes from feeling kind of comfortable to really unsettling just the more that the camera moves around in it.
1: Yeah. And especially once you feel like there's one entry and exit point mm-hmm. and now it's blocked. Yep. Which I like when he walks up and it's just like, there's a knack to it. Yeah.
2: Pops the door open and <laughs> out they go.
0: uh, And when they have the conversation, uh, and once again, I don't know how much of this is me bringing other media to it or how much of it is references, um, especially in something like this, because I think there are a lot of things that it's pulling from. But their hotel room conversation that they have really reminds me of the first episode of The X Files, where Mulder and Scully are having their conversation. And we have a believer and a disbeliever, and um, they're on opposite sides, but they're all ultimately comfortable with each other. And it's just there's something about it that has that same sort of intimacy uh, as that first episode scene does for me.
2: Yeah, Alice
1: is ready to call it. Yep. And James, like, what are you talking about? This has only it just
2: begun. Cool. Um, I feel like, I don't know. You got to know when to cut your losses.
0: Yes. But once again, we're kind of at the same point of how far down this rabbit hole do you go to figure out what happened to your loved one?
1: Yeah. Oh, have you seen uh, The Vanishing? Yes. Sporeloose? Yes. Very, very, very similar. Yeah. Uh, I highly recommend that one. I, won't, I won't spoil anything about that one, but definitely check that one out.
0: Yeah. But uh, I like both versions of that. Those are both good.
1: Uh I don't I don't I think I saw part of the American remake. Mm-hmm. I definitely saw was it Dutch? The original? Yeah. I definitely saw that one.
0: Yeah, that's one. I saw the American one first. It's The Opposite of Insomnia. Because I saw the American one first and then the Dutch one and then Insomnia, which feels very similar.
1: <laughs> I watched Wait, Insomnia the
2: Robin Williams? Yes. I who directed that? Christopher Nolan. I saw it and I like
1: it. Did not make an impact on me.
0: Oh, at that point, I
2: watched it
1: years ago and I I just have very little memory of it whatsoever.
0: Between that, it's like an elemento, Alaska town,
1: and it on it's during the eternal daylight part yes. of year or something. Yep. Yeah. Uh,
0: between that and Memento, I was like all in on Christopher Nolan, and then he started making other movies and. I'm I'm mostly out on Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I feel
2: bad for that. I know. It just I think less is better. And the bigger his budgets have gotten, I still need to watch
1: Interstellar. I've I not too. seen it. Have you seen it? No. Yeah. I I have worked really hard to not spoil that movie for myself, but it's been out for like ten years now.
0: <laughs> Could watch that
2: and uh and Dad Astra,
1: yeah, that's true. I know. I didn't really. I wonder if I watched Ad Astra too close to my dad dying, where it's just like, whatever. I'm not connecting to this. And now with more time to look Wait, back on things, it would it would hit me in a different way.
0: The, the movie that's explicitly about dad issues.
1: <laughs> I know, but it's. I think I might have been at that point. Maybe I was still numb to things. Yeah, I don't know. there I were, there that. was a few months afterward where like I just like wasn't feeling anything, except yeah. for anger at old women who wouldn't stop talking in the lighthouse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is Willem Dafoe's <laughs> finest role.
2: <laughs> so,
0: oh, the next scene after they have their conversation, uh, James wakes up in their hotel room, is ransacked, Alice is missing, and so are the tapes.
1: Yeah. And this is where I texted you. You said how's it going and I said James just picked up a cigarette off the ground. Yep. <laughs> That's how far our protagonist has fallen. He started the movie seemingly not smoking to smoking with his grief buddy lady who asks him out to now just picking up cigarettes off of the ground.
0: <laughs> uh I appreciate the uh the cigarette sound in this movie. Like it happens a couple of times when smoking is happening. Like the little, the crispy paper burning sound. I love that.
2: Yeah. Uh, did, has he
1: had this red jacket with the dancer on the whole time?
0: No, he's been wearing like, uh, he's been dressed in blue and gray almost the whole time. His wife was wearing the dancer jacket in the video on the PXL 2000.
1: Because now he's wearing that jacket, and for me, him wearing that jacket with that dancer logo on it, it's just like, he's dancing to the music of these tapes. He, he, he's doing a completely choreographed number. Mm-hmm. He's being, he thinks he's acting on his own, but the fact that there's many people have come before him on this same path, Yes, he's just he's just following the beats of the music. He's not doing anything special,
2: you know?
0: Um... He tries to go back to the antique shop and it's now a crime scene. And it really is. And this is where it's like, to get to your point, it feels like a noir film in that we're in that final stretch and it's all downhill. Like, you know that these things don't end well for the protagonist normally, and it's going to be some kind of reckoning with what he has been dealing with. Uh, and it does it feels like i thought of it as um because of the train imagery that like he's on tracks and it's you know
1: oh yeah yeah
0: there there's no nowhere else to go he's they're leading him straight down to hell at this point
1: yeah totally same idea Uh, um so this is where i don't how does he end up tracking down justin wellborn this is the
0: so he finds uh a tape in his apartment Uh, Because his apartment has also been trashed. But one of the tapes that's left is his wife performing a ballet that was recorded off of local public access channel. And that's where the third broadcast signal intrusion has been hiding. And so in that one, uh, we see a hand come into the frame and, like, caress the mask. And the hand has a scar on it. And we see a mailbox. And he can read the name on the mailbox. Um He also calls the professor or whatever Lithgow is again. And there's a really cool trick with the audio where he's, he fixes his house phone so he can talk on it again. And it goes from sounding kind of tinny, like it's coming out of the phone speaker to Lithgow's voice being like in stereo and super crisp and clear. And it's,
1: I, uh, Similar to a moment in session nine of, can you trust this voice? Yes. Because suddenly it, the sound quality has changed. Yes. and it's I, I forgot to note that, but I, I did notice that that's a great little trick.
0: Between uh, this call and this video that he finds, I'm wondering if he's completely lost it and all this is in his head at this point. Because I think his actions uh, from here on out could be taken either
2: way. Yes. Okay, good. i I I, I totally with you, and I really am going to lean
1: on you here to help me with this ending. Okay. Because my last note was, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, we get to Justin Wellborn's house. I like that he swaps for a, a, a little hammer for a bigger mallet. Yep and uh breaks this guy's arm throws him in a dog kennel cage and the interrogation begins
0: well first when he walks into the house it looks abandoned except for he finds this room with a dog cage in it and a bunch of computers uh and Alice's hat is on
2: top of one of the computers um which my first thought was That Alice had taken his stuff and left, but now I think that um, Michael uh, Justin Welborn's character did something to her. Okay, yeah, I that connects some of the dots here. Okay, Um, her hat being there. Uh, I did not
1: realize that that was his wife doing the ballet on the third intrusion tape.
2: Yes. okay yeah Uh... (laughs) it's which it
0: doesn't this is the things don't quite make sense kind of like the believing in nothing in the afterlife but the nothing being an actual thing negates the fact that there's nothing in the afterlife if this if this video aired the day after she went missing but he taped it but he never watched it Why would, would he have taped it the day after she, it it doesn't all kind of. They do make
1: the point that if anything was recorded at this time, it was done so through intent because nothing was recorded passively.
0: Yes. The, uh, the cable access channel doesn't keep archives of, of what it played. Uh, and the, the professor guy talked about narrow casting that it would have, they cast a wide net at first and then got narrower and more specific. and so this message would have been meant for him and him alone to show up on this particular tape, basically. Um, And then this is where after James breaks the dude's arm, he tries to get, admit him or get him to admit that he took these women and the tapes were some kind of confession. When that doesn't work, they go out to the barn where the set had been built that all the videos take place in, James makes him rebuild the set, and then writes a script for him to make a new tape, and puts the Sally Sparks mask on this dude, and then makes him confess with his script that he wrote.
2: This part, I I think Welburn's performance is good, it's really good once the mask
1: gets put on, especially because at this point it's hard to decipher if he's actually confessing mm-hmm. or if he just believes this is his only ticket to freedom or to to being spared, his life being spared, is to read these things. But there's one shot where it's like after he's had a breakdown and he finally agrees to like, all right, I'll finish this note. He gets like the back of the mask and just to like tighten the mask. But the way he like pulls the skin back on his head and mm-hmm. it just it's very unsettling.
0: It's that whole it felt um like the Joker or something like because he does. He rubs it up his face and then like over the top of the scalp and draws it the face tight and the eye holes and the mouth hole hadn't really lined up until now, but now they're lined up and there's like spit coming out of the mouth hole like he's drooling and he like adjusts the neckline of it so that it fits his face more snugly and it's ah. Uh, it's really creepy and he then does his confession and James tells him that's the only way that he's going to be at peace. And the guy says, do you promise? And he's like, yeah. And so I'm like, is this guy just begging
2: for his death at this point? Does he know what's going to happen?
1: I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I think that's a credit to the performance that you could read it two or three different ways. And just the overall writing of the scene. Um, I don't know. But the snap cut was certainly surprising. <laughs> or the jump cut. However you want to call it. It's yes. just. You know it's. One thing when he dragged him out of the frame in the kitchen. And broke his arm. I thought that was going to be the murder right there. Mm-hmm. And so we cut away from that. To an exterior. I was like oh okay we're skipping the violence. But then we, we skipped the violence again. But this time we, we don't even see the burial. Right. Just patting the dirt at the
2: very end of it all.
0: That's I thought that shot when they're fighting in the house is so good. Um, it wasn't...
1: Yeah, it's, it's good, like, sloppy, real-life fighting where it's just, like, a, a wrestle-fest of sloppiness. It's yes. Not, it's not movie fighting.
0: When uh, he starts dragging the Michael backwards... And then accidentally pulls his shoe off and then throws the shoe at him and then grabs his <laughs> other leg and starts pulling. Uh, it also made me think of Bill Hader's direction of the uh, Lily Ronnie episode of Barry. Uh, oh, yeah. Because there's that extended Definitely. fight scene in the beginning. And when they go into yeah. the bathroom, it's very similar where it just hangs outside the bathroom for a while before he gets like th- knocked into the wall and the wall cracks and all that. Yeah. They're both great, is what I'm saying. And I'm totally going to steal some of this shit, is what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> as long as you make a letterbox list with your, this listed as one of your <laughs> references or inspirations, yes.
0: Um, so, inside the house, as James is walking back to his car, the phone starts to ring. And I don't know what this means. I don't know. Damn it, Josh, I was,
1: was <laughs> counting on you to know. <laughs> okay, well, I I thought I was dumb because I didn't know what that phone call meant. Okay. It, unless there's just like the next person following this cycle is already
0: I thought either, on, the,
1: on the trail.
0: Yeah, it's either the next person, but I don't know how they would have gotten that phone number. Or it would have been uh, uh Chris Sullivan's character calling to warn him. That, I mean, that's headcanon, because they don't give you anything to go on, but it would have been that Chris Sullivan did know more than he was letting on, and he was calling this Michael Deer to let him know. But
1: why why would he wait hours to warn someone?
2: Yes. I don't know.
1: I don't know what this phone call is, and I don't know what this ending is.
0: So, (laughs) he's driving away, and it's really evocatively done between the music and the editing and the lights coming in and out. And like, we're having these little short blackout scenes. And then suddenly a woman steps into the road and James runs her over and she flies like over the car. Uh, and she seems Which to be-
1: I I thought I was like, all right, maybe this is going to be a fake hallucination or whatever. Mm hmm. I didn't actually hit someone, there's nobody in the road kind of thing. Yes. But instead, there's definitely something in the road.
0: He goes back to check on the person that he hit, and as he rolls them over, we see that they're wearing a Sally Sparks mask, and then that it's robot eyes inside. And the eyes are like drifting back and forth like spasmodically. And then the body starts shaking and then it starts spitting up blood, which looks like human blood. And as far as I know, robots have milk in them. That's their blood. Uh, Yeah. Everyone knows
1: robots are full of like milk and spaghetti noodles.
0: Yes. Uh, And then it cuts back to James's face. He has a quick flash of uh, his wife. And then his face, like, shakes, like something out of Jacob's Ladder, and then it cuts to static.
2: And that's the end of the movie.
0: I I think this is what I yes, think. Tell, please, please tell me what you think. <laughs> so, and this is once again aided by my reading of a separate movie, uh, the ending of Taxi Driver, which I've heard... People argue that the ending of Taxi Driver is he had his moment in the sun and now he's just going to kind of continue on his life. Travis Bickle is. So that
1: would be like a literal reading of the ending. Yes. My yeah, reading of okay. the ending
0: of Taxi Driver is he looks in the rearview mirror and the Bernard Bernard Herman uh, strings go Woo-w-w-w-w-w! and he s- kind of snaps it to the side a little bit. I think that Travis Bickle is now fully in his head. And even worse than he was in the beginning, it's not like this was some kind of big event in his life. It's just going to keep happening she
2: didn't she didn't get in the cab at the end. no no Do I, you have him alive yes okay yes, I think
0: he's alive. So you're not going and,
1: fully with the interpretive ending, but you're no. you're doing like a twenty five percent
0: yes i I think that he's in his
2: fantasy land now
1: I mean. I could see that because everything about this guy's personality would say that being rewarded with multiple murders would not make this guy healthier. Right. This would send him even like deeper into the the madness that he exists in. Yes. So, um yeah, I think when I was younger when I first saw taxi drivers like a 17-year-old, I was like, "Oh, Fuck yeah, Travis Bickle, I am God's lonely man, and blah blah blah, and, and I, I, but I took the ending literally. Yep. Now I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I don't think, I definitely don't think it's a happy ending like the movie presents.
2: Yes. So, here, I think in much
0: the same way, uh, James is, he's full-blown uh, uh, crazy pants <laughs> at this point. He's gone over the edge, and I think that he did hit a real person, and this is how he's viewing it.
2: That is reasonable. The I don't know what I thought. Yeah. Honestly. I was toying with the idea that, like, the women in
1: the tapes were all essentially robots, and, like, the fact like that they, they could have all been animatronics and then he murdered a guy for believing that his fake snuff films were real uh-huh. or but they weren't even snuff films. Right. Um, but that ending it, that, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> that idea. Uh, Years is the most plausible. But that doesn't. I I didn't like this ending. <laughs> no, this this felt it felt too abrupt it is super abrupt and like i said it just the credits I, I had a feeling the credits were going to come up and then when they did come up my response was literally just what <laughs>
0: uh um, i i do think that that is uh sadly fairly accurate <laughs> i mean i think that's a not the the
2: best thing but
0: yeah
1: you know what this kind of reminded me of in very different ways was Possessor. Yes. With just some of like the weird face stuff and like the latex faces and things. I don't I don't know. Just some of that
2: weirdness. Um
0: Yeah. Also the strange like tech noir kind of thing that's happening with, with both of them.
2: Uh I can I can see that as well. So I, I feel like I feel like
1: you're a little higher on this one than I am. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about this movie overall?
0: How I felt about this movie overall? Is uh on my second watch? I think I'm keeping it at four stars.:
2: Yeah, yep. Uh I'm right under you at a three and a half. Okay. Uh,
1: I just uh, I think I wanted a bit more answers. Or something? I don't know, there's like a really good idea here, but then it just didn't feel completely
2: fleshed out to me. Yeah, I can see that. I
0: I think... uh, It's not that I think it is completely fleshed out, it's that I kind of like the half-bakedness of it, and the fact that it feels like a conspiracy thriller where you'll never quite know the answers, uh and the character never will. Uh I, I kind of enjoy that.
2: I, I appreciate that about it. Yeah, well
1: it's interesting to watch two movies and walk away with zero answers. But that's <laughs> kind of what happened today. Yes. And I think that's a good experiment though. I I do think there's a lot of room for movies to end with ambiguity and to have endings that catch you off guard and might disappoint you or leave you wanting more initially. But then the more you think about it, the more it makes sense or it might click with you. I mean, it's like the ending of the Sopranos Mm -hmm. people fucking hated that. But I think over time that ending has garnered more respect from people.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think, um, both of these feel ambiguous. In ways that even their like seventies predecessors don't um uh, and they're both even if they are ambiguous, they're downers <laughs> like they're they are they're they're both neither one of them are like feel good movies I think they both people end up in worse places than when they started
2: yeah, I could see that yeah and I just that.
1: You know if you want to sit step back and kind of look at just grief as a whole, do you think that's director's saying that you have to let go and that you can't you can't cling to these things? you can't keep wearing your wedding ring almost three years after your wife's death, as he does in broadcast signal, and you have to move on
0: yeah, I think the the idea that holding on to that grief that past life will eventually destroy you like. Whether realistically, metaphorically, or metaphysically, like that's what's going to happen if you don't if you don't go on that date with that woman from your grief grief group
2: yeah, I think I will think about nighthouse more often and deeper, especially the ending of
1: the existence of nothing proves that there's something right. The, the fact that this void exists changes everything, even though it in, in and of itself is just a void, or whatever. Yes. Um, there, there's a lot to look at there.
0: Yeah, the fact that it's something with volition and some sort of personality and goals means that there is there is something, even if it's nothing.
2: But it is something. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing. Nothing is after you. Yes. Um, well, you got any final notes? Anything that you want to plug?
0: No. I think um, actually the one of my pieces of work that I'm proud of recently uh, on Sounds Like Nashville would be our uh, year in review from last year, our uh, album wrap-up. I feel like we did a great cross section of a very diverse country artists and I actually got a lot of my favorites on there this year which is a lot of fun as opposed to kind of the past couple of years I had I felt like I was more stuck to the the company line and this year was a lot more uh, satisfying personally to put those nice. artists on How there. can
1: How can people find that? Should we put it in the podcast notes for this episode?
0: Yeah, it sounds like nashville.com 2021 year in review. We got a bunch of articles about last year and uh, this next year coming up. What to look
2: forward to. Excellent. Um, I don't know. I don't have anything. (laughs) That's okay. I'm playing. I'm
1: still technically maybe playing open mic the day. Oh no, that would be the 21st. We'll see. COVID is kind of shutting some things down again with the health department stuff. So we'll see, but everyone fly on out here. (laughs) (laughs) And <laughs> come hang out at Open Mic on the 21st. Um, this episode's coming out on the 18th. Our next episode will be February 1st. That will be with our buddy. We're going to be talking about the sound of music and I don't know what
0: else. Yeah, I've, I've never seen sound of music all the way through either, so it remains to be seen what we're going to pair with it.
1: Well, that'll do it for us this week on Nashville SEA. On behalf of my co-host Josh, I've been Sean. Everyone, be kind to yourselves, be kind to your neighbors, take care, we'll see you in two weeks.